that you cannot make friends with the rock stars. You're going to be a true journalist, you know, a rock journalist, and first you never get paid much. But you will get free records from the record company. <laughs> Nothing about you that is controversial, man. God, it's going to get ugly, man. They're going to buy you drinks. You're going to meet girls. They're going to try to fly you places for free, offer you drugs. And I know it sounds great. These people are not your friends. You know, these are people who want you to write sanctimonious stories about the genius of rock stars. And they will ruin rock and roll and strangle everything we love about it. You know, because they're trying to buy respectability for a form that is gloriously and righteously dumb. You know, you're smart enough to know that. And the day it ceases to be dumb is the day it ceases to be real. Right? And then it just becomes an industry of cool. I, I mean, I'm telling you, you're coming along in a very dangerous time for rock and roll. I mean, the war is over. They won. And 99% of what passes for rock and roll these days, silence is more compelling. And that's why I think you should just turn around, go back, you know, and be a lawyer or something. I can tell from your face that you won't. I can give you 35 bucks. Give me a thousand words on Black Sabbath. An assignment? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey. You have to make your reputation on being honest and uh, you know, unmerciful. You know, if you into a jam, you can call me. I stay up late. That are Blazing Saddles. We'll do Blazing Saddles tomorrow. Why, hello, it is six minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11, and this is the month of September. In the year of our Lord, and I'm not just saying it's September. No, no, no. I have internalized the fact that it is September. It is now September within every fiber and every pore of my being. My essence has now absorbed the, uh, the September vibe. We'll be moving on uh, at this moment. Uh, it is uh, the Rick Emerson Radio Program, ladies and gentlemen, here in the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. Sarah Dillon, as we speak, making a note to herself in the back of her left hand with a Sharpie. What is it for? Pay uh, rent? No, it's for my mom's uh, birthday present. Because every time I'll bring something to mail, I'll drive it to work with me, and then I'll drive all the way home, totally passing the mail, or, you know, the post office. Right. I've got to remember to drop in the mail, or else I won't get to her in time. By the way, in CBS, thanks you for not callously using the company postal meter upstairs. I see people do that. I'm not going to say who they are. I wasn't aware we had one. Well, I know, know. Neither was I. Well, because you're We're not supposed to use it for anything but company business. Occasionally, I will see somebody, uh, and they think that I don't see them. I do. I see all. Occasionally, as Richard Nixon's mother would say, I see thee. Go on there. So when nobody's looking, you see something that's like obviously going to like pay their utility bill or something <clears throat> through the mail meter right up. And then, the, and then they'll do that thing of going to the front desk where Dave's in is, and they stick it between two uh, other envelopes that are up there. And you know what? Those sneaky bastards. You know, one cannot hide from the eyes of the Lord, children. Mm, there was a place to report that on the eye on uh, efficiency report that we had last week. Really? Was there? Yes, there was. Was, it, was there a stick is, is form? Is there anything that you'd like to say? <laughs> it was the last thing. Is there anything you'd like to inform on your uh, co-workers about? Let us know right now. Confidentiality guaranteed. All right. 
in any event. All right. It is uh, Monday, and welcome to Day 12. Thank you for coming along. We are live from the plushly appointed and Viso-fueled studios of AM970, the talker. This, my friends, uh, the Rick Emerson radio program. Thank you for coming along. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. I toyed with opening today's program by just having the three of us, plus Richie, plus perhaps some other person from the hallways come in and just stand around and talk aimlessly for 12 minutes. And at the end, I blow up a big surgical glove on my head. But, uh... Then I decided that was a stupid, pointless, and utterly tedious idea, so we're going to pass over it if it's all the same to you. It's 503-733-2970 uh, if you want to get on board with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, two cents, what have you. 503-733-2970. Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, or the mundane. You can also email if you'd like to uh, engage with us electronically. It is uh, Sarah at 970.am, Tim at 970.am, Richie with a T at 970.am, or Rick at rickemerson.com. I'm not going to get sidetracked by this, but I'm just looking around the studio here and realizing just what a strange melange of decorations we've got here. Just quickly going from left to right, we got a giant rubber fist. i got a Barry Manilow record over here. Uh, let's Big see. foam hand. Big foam hand. We got a bottle of Jones soda with our pictures on it. I got two different things of marshmallow fluff, one vanilla, one strawberry. Uh, we got a Barack Obama shirt, a bottle of polygamy porter beer from the Wasatch Brewing Company, Batman headline, uh, a bottle of Moxie, a clown light switch cover, uh, three collectible kiss dolls, a picture of us as the Rat Pack, and a feather boa. So there you go. I don't know how your office is decorated, but that is the aesthetic, uh, that is the aesthetic bent of this studio. All right, it's 503-733-2970. It is Monday. Lots of stuff. To, first of all, we have two. The only word for this week's giveaways is... is That's the irony. I can't even come up with a word that's descriptive, and I cannot come up with a superlative that is glorious enough to describe the giveaways we have this week. Uh, suffice it to say, I'll announce as you said. We got the two different things we're giving away this week. One of them fantastic. One of them utterly fantastic. We'll talk about that here in just a second. Uh, coming up today, CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins will be joining us from the Hills. So we now got, what, uh, five days till the presidential debate? First presidential debate coming up this Friday, friends and neighbors. Uh, Barack Obama and John McCain facing off this what Friday. Time? What time? It is, it's Friday. I don't even know where it is. Is it in Boston? Tim, you know where the presidential debate is this Friday? I don't, but I'll find out. I don't know. Really. It's happening on the small square glass box in my house. It's happening. That's, a, that's the only thing that matters to me. It's happening on the glass boob that sits in my living room, uh, which feeds me entertainment and whimsy 24 hours a day. So that's coming up Friday, and then I think next Tuesday is the vice presidential debate. They only, get one. they only get one. They only get one. That's for all the marbles. Uh, so there's going to be three presidential debates, I think, and then one vice presidential debate. The, the presidential debate is this Friday. So we'll talk to Lisa Desjardins about that. We'll talk to CN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum uh, from New York. They uh, played the last ever game at Yankee Stadium, and the Yankees won, which is nice. Because, you know, you want to go out on a loss. That would be one of those things. It would be a black mark against your team that you just carried until the end of your days. Uh, so we'll talk about the Yankee Stadium, which I guess is going to get the, I don't know, torn down a little uh, little Yankee bits later, I think maybe this month or something like that. Uh, we'll talk to CNN Radio correspondent James Roop about last night's Emmys. <sighs> Let's see, what else? Uh, top five. Uh, Bobby Fatboy Roberts from Rock 101 KUFO joining us in the studio later on today. He's going to count down the top five songs 
that accompany the opening credits to a film. It's not like a score, not any sort of instrumental. It's going to be the top five actual, fully complete pop or rock songs that accompany the opening credits to a film. Uh, top fives later on in the week. Tomorrow, can I just say this about the top five? So, you know, we did that Stevie Wonder, top five funkiest Stevie Wonder uh, songs, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. I think it was the week that Sarah was in New York. And just people just started crawling out of the carpet to weigh in on that. And um, when we started the top five, as we always do, with it was Kristen Bowie, and then Tim, and then myself, and then I think Susan, who had, you know, who had demanded early on in the day that she was going to put to, that she was going to contribute to the list, because Lisa Wood had put it together, and then Susan was immediately wanted to chime in, and then Fatboy walked into the studio because he wanted to chime in, and then Panic appeared because he wanted to chime in, and then Adam from the Pimp Squad collared me later about it. So that held the record uh, for the most, for the most, I think, external inputs. That's an awkward phrase for a top five. But, I mean, this thing about your top five teenage angst-ridden, lovelorn, moping songs has really just, has just blown the whole curve for everybody. So uh, so tomorrow, Chris Paddock will be in with his top five teenage, lovelorn, angst-ridden, mope songs. And then Tim Riley will do his list on that topic on Wednesday. So I worked on mine all weekend. I saw your list, by the way, and i got to say, you it's fantastic, if only for the honorable mention. I mean, the rest of it's good, too. Mm-hmm. That honorable mention is genius. And we don't play that song nearly often oh, enough. And I do want to play the same things we play all all the time. Well, seriously, like, how long Are do you... Are you doing yours today? No, Wednesday. Wednesday. Who's today? Uh, today is uh, Bobby uh, Fatboy Roberts. Uh, tomorrow, Chris Paddock. Wednesday, Tim Riley. And we'll probably just end the whole theme after the... Because we really, how can he top Tim Riley? It's, uh, after Tim has done his list, uh, God has spoken. And oh, we all move on. Time. I'm just saying... Um, and I and your list is I give your list points for being a little different though for being I really uh, put some thought into it. It's not the same. Well, you know how many times you do my, I'd like to play uh, Tainted Love by Soft Cell. Exactly. I, mean, yeah, I wasn't going to do that. No, no, no. You've you've cut it from a different cloth, Tim Riley. And some of these songs you haven't heard in years. <sighs> Let's see. Uh, what else is coming up today? We got a Geek Watch coming up today. Religious Nutcase Watch, Taser Watch, Cannibal Watch. Uh, that is all on the way today. But uh, before we do anything else, I'm just going to reveal these two giveaways they're going to be doing this week. First of all. I'll just say that either one of these giveaways was enough to sort of uh, fill me with a very specific and tingly type of thrill. But the fact that we have both of them in one week uh, is just its just wonderful. So, first off, one random uh, on-air caller today. One random caller gets on the air today will win. And I, I have to say that I was, uh, I was privileged enough to be able to take uh, an advance one of these home over the weekend and just wallow in it like a pig in slop. One random on-air caller today wins a copy of... The 10th anniversary DVD set of Sports Night, the entire series. The entire series, one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Uh, the 10th anniversary edition of the complete series, Sports Night, an 8 DVD set. Uh, complete with uh, the commentaries, uh, documentaries, behind-the-scenes stuff, outtakes, uh, all of that. It is on sale next Tuesday, uh, the 30th, but you can win it all this week. So uh, one random on-air caller uh, today will win a copy of the Sports Night DVD, the 10th anniversary edition, the entire series, eight DVDs in a box set. One random on-air caller. But that's not, the, that's not even the biggest news of the day. Biggest news? Every day this week, we're going to be giving away a pair of passes to see Robert Plant and Allison Krauss at the Rose Garden. Uh, that show is next Tuesday, September 30th, 8 p.m. Uh, tickets on sale now, right now at ComcastTix.com. ComcastTix.com for Robert Plant and Allison Krauss. Uh, happening at the Rose Garden Theater of the Clouds next Tuesday, September 30th. And that's because it's what this month? Huh? September. September! That's what it is right now. So because of September... Robert Plant tickets, friends and neighbors. 
You might ask yourself, why such a big suit? Uh, you might ask yourself, well, Rick, that's interesting, but how are you going to give away these Robert Plant tickets? What is the mechanism by which I, a humble listener, might win a pair of tickets to see one of the greatest rock vocalists of all time? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, so I have no exciting name for this bit. But because it is September, I'll just let that be. I'll let that be the name and the bit and the uh, and the shtick. So here's what we're gonna do today. At some point during today's program, in the course of normal conversation, I, Rick Emerson, will incorporate a Led Zeppelin lyric into conversation. Some point today, I, Rick Emerson, will incorporate a Led Zeppelin lyric into the discussion. I'm not gonna point it out. Not gonna stop to mention it. Not gonna tip my hand as to when it's gonna happen. But at some point today, you will hear me use a Led Zeppelin lyric in the course of normal debate, discussion, and whimsy. You are the fifth caller to identify that lyric. You don't have to tell me the song. You don't have to tell me the album or anything like that. You should have to be caller five and then point out the lyric that I used. And I have no name for this. I was thinking of, I was thinking of planting a lyric. Planting a lyric! Whatever. In any event, so that's today. So at some point in today's program, I'm going to work a Led Zeppelin lyric in the conversation. You spot it, you be caller 5 at 503-733-2970. Pardon me, you will win a pair of tickets to see Robert Plant and Allison Krauss next Tuesday at the Rose Garden. Tickets on sale now through ComcastTix.com. It's all very exciting. Going to be one of the best weeks we've ever had. Tim Riley's working on the following stories for your edification today. I got a lot of things to work on, and things are changing by the moment. So here we go. Imagine construction workers complaining about a nude woman in their presence. It happened in Portland over the weekend, and they had her arrested. A suspected drunk driver hits a do not drive drunk sign in a low up. Microsoft will buy back $40 billion in stock. Madman are victorious at the Emmys, but the broadcast itself is a disaster. Its ratings the worst in history. Treasury Secretary Paulson claims he's humbled at America's economic collapse. America continues to be sold to foreign countries. Uh, Japan joins the Brits and the Red Chinese, uh, buying whatever's left, like picking the bones of business here. The Democrats want provisions in the bank bailout plan that limit executive compensation, and that has the Republicans in an uproar. A girl loses a hand in a jump rope accident, and and George Michael is again caught in his unusual unsavory activities. (laughs) Wait, is this unsavory number one or unsavory number two? Uh... Well, we'll have to find out later. It's just a tease. All right. Thank you, Tim Rudd. Uh, it cheer us all up in this economic collapse. You know, we were talking about this during the uh, during the little pre-show uh, warm-up here. And I, I guess my, my speculation is just that George Michael brings in so much money to the British economy, they can't let him go to jail. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing. Because, again, they just sort of, well, don't do it again. You know? I mean, they must just have some sort of... You know, like when they bring in the little police blotter form and the guy, they stamp it with either, like, parole or probation or... Uh, you know, the, the county jail. They must have one for George Michael that just says, like, see previous 500 forms. Mm-hmm. Because they nabbed him again, and all they did was, well, pull up your knickers and be on your way. <laughs> <laughs> Try to at least be a little bit more discreet about it, George. So I think he must just bring in so much money for that country that, they, 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 I mean, they, 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 some edict not to incarcerate him. All right, we're joined today, as always, by the uh, lovely and talented Sarah X. Hello, how are you today? Hello, I'm doing well. I met a, a lot of listeners last, or this weekend and a lot of random places. Was this at your uh, other job, or was this just out yeah, and about? Yeah, well, I met a listener, Larissa. Hello, when I was um, I was at a bar, and I was on my way to the bathroom, and she had opened the door for me, and she was holding up. I'm like, thanks, and um, as I was walking in, she's like, best top five ever. And I'm walking, I'm like, okay, and she was a completely normal, like, young, my age girl, so Fantastic. she was cool. We, we sat and talked for a while, and then I also met, went to the Pirate Festival yesterday and met Brad. 
The Pirate Festival was awesome. Yeah, right? and I, you know, and I didn't go to it last year, and I forgot to go to it yesterday. It's magical. It's 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 like you're in Europe or in some other weird land, and like you're walking around under the St. John's Bridge, and uh, there's everyone's dressed up like pirates and wenches and stuff. It was bizarre. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen, but it was super cool. So it's like a Ren fair with more hooks on hands and patches on eyes. Yep, All exactly, right. and a lot more drinking and. Yeah, and as pirates will do. You know, all magical things do start with the phrase "underneath the St. John's Bridge." So, but have you ever been under there in that park? No, it no, I have not. Unreal! It is so beautiful. You're underneath it, and it's just you know, and it was misty, and you could see all the trees, and the, just the bridge itself is so gorgeous. Yes, St. John's is a wonderful place to buy a residence and live. <laughs> is it, Tim? Oh yes. Would you recommend right now that people who are perhaps looking for a place to live seek out the uh, burgeoning and flourishing St. John's area? I would, because it's being refurbished as we speak. Perhaps ah. seek out the realtor of your choice, uh, whoever that might be, uh, to find out how you and yours can live in an up-and-coming community called St. John's. It is the last place to be gentrified in Portland. Uh, I don't think that's true. That's yes, almost... it is. I said so. Oh, sorry. That's completely true is what I meant to say. white hippies. Except for Tim. White hippies? No, the, no, the, um, the Ren Fair place was. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the key, right? The key is to find some place that's about to be gentrified but hasn't been gentrified quite yet. Oh, it's getting there. That's Have a whole buy it while it's St. low John's? and sell it while it's high. Pardon me? Have you spent time in St. John's? Well, if I, speed, if I spend time in St. John's, you'd be sort of like speeding through as quickly as I can, trying not to stop at red lights or intersections of any kind. Houses are being painted, window boxes are being put in, beautiful flowers being added to properties as we speak. And they have the best Salvation Army I've ever been to. Keeping my doors locked and trying to look aggressive (laughs) as I walk through. I was so bummed out when we went... um, I was walking down the street. I'm like, the best Salvation Army ever, because that's where I got my my bowling ball. And so I went there, and it's closed on Sundays. Oh. Yeah, you're a little sad. (laughs) They have great stuff at that Salvation Army, because nobody knows that place is there, so nobody picks through it yet. All right, we should stop talking about it then. Are we really having a long discussion about shopping at the Salvation Army in St. John's? Yes. Mm -hmm. This is exactly the kind of conversation that I talked to uh, the AEs about upstairs. Live, local, relevant. I'm saying, no, 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 we've got a really upscale audience. (laughs) No, believe me. No, honestly, I swear to God. And then they tune up just going, I got these shoes for a dollar at the St. John's Salvation Army. Right now I got a valuable Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I'm just going to skip to the bottom of the page on the Emmys. I watched almost none of it because every time I tuned in, it was just so excruciating. It wasn't even, it wasn't even bad enough to be good. The Emmys last night, they were that special brand of awful where they went right up to the line of entertainment where you almost felt like it was going to become funny or compelling in some way. And then they just stayed, frustratingly enough, right at that edge. I mean, it was the, the Emmys last night were as bad as they could possibly be. Without, it's like on the Showcase Showdown where you do that, you know, you try to beat as high as you can without going over or whatever. They were as bad as anything could possibly be without somehow slingshotting around the sun, Star Trek Four style, and becoming funny again. Did you watch any of the Emmys? I just forgot to watch it. Sarah? I scooted by it, and I'm like, oh, there are a bunch of people in fancy evening gowns. And I saw some guy I didn't recognize talking about. And they start talking about the war, and I'm like, this is not what I want to be no. watching. Right there, there was no pre-show buzz about it at all. No. Yeah. Well, that's. But I was thinking about this uh, this morning, actually, because I know a lot of people who completely forgot about the Emmys. They didn't, uh, they didn't watch. Uh, they didn't, you know, didn't make any note about it. They didn't put it on the TV. They didn't whatever. And I think it's because of that thing we were talking about last week, where with so many channels, it's just harder and harder to cut through the static yeah. and to try to get people's attention. Um, and even having talked about it last week with uh, Don Rickles being on there, and, you know, Madman was up for a whole bunch of stuff. And even then, I just, it's like I almost couldn't even be bothered. I mean, Madman was a rerun last night. Not like I had anything better to do. I was just sitting there on the couch. I was like, uh, I guess I should watch part of the Emmys. Like, the confessional scene was worth watching again, though. Yeah, it really Madman. was. 
Um, so, last night, I mean, I don't even know where to begin. First of all, Howie Mandel should never be put on television ever again. Was he wearing his, like, shiny earrings? In any capacity. Yeah, he was good once. Let me tell you when Howie Mandel was good. Howie Mandel was good one time in one role in his stupid career, and that's when he was Dr. Wayne Fiscus uh, back on St. Elsewhere. Nothing else he did. I mean, apart from blowing up a balloon on his head, or, you know, the, like the, the hospital glove, the surgical glove on his head, there's really nothing in that guy's history to indicate that he should have been given any additional roles on television. I mean, him being good on St. Elsewhere, that's sort of a stop clock being right, you know, twice a day sort of a thing. You know, that's, it's like how my friend Todd is saying that every bad band has one good song in them. St. Elsewhere was, was Howie Mandel's one good song. They ought to just put that guy in the permanent shun list as far as television casting. But they had this whole, they had this whole stick, this whole stick where the, the opening was going to be uh, like a bunch of reality TV people coming out, and then the gag was that they had nothing to say. And they had nothing to say. And it was 12-ass long minutes. Now I get 12 you. 12-ass minutes. Because like, we we're just going to sit here and not say anything. I'm like, I don't understand. Oh, no, no, no. 12-ass minutes out there on stage, just kind of shuffling around nervously. Didn't they have all the blandest hosts on television on stage God, at one time, like God, Ryan Seacrest so, and Tom Bergeron? So and... bad. It was so bad. And there's something I caught only part of, and Chris Paddock and Susan Reynolds talked to me about this morning. There's something I only caught a little bit of, which is they were doing, they brought back the laughing wall, you know, like the wall of jokes. Oh, yeah. yeah. And apparently the, 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 apparently the gimmick with the wall and laugh of jokes on the Emmys last night was that they were going to use all the original cast members that were still alive. And I guess it was really just Joanne Worley and Ruth Buzzy and there's one other person. Paddock told me who it was this morning. I can't remember. There's one other guy. Apparently Ruth Buzzy, as discussed on this show last week, was never like a looker. I mean, I guess that she had a certain sort of neck down passability. I mean, if you really kind of squinted your eyes and you were sort of drunk and hard up. But I guess she just looked bad last night. And she looks like some sort of dried out potato. So I missed that, but apparently it wasn't worth watching. So I'm just, I know I'm supposed to be relatable and talk about the Emmys, which was the big show last night. But I got to tell you, I watched almost none of it because every time I tuned in, it was like having my eyes jabbed with red hot knitting needles. All I know is that I opened the Oregonian today and Peter Carlin, Peter Carlin beat that show like the family mule. I mean, he beat that show like a gong. So, anyway, it's probably more entertaining for you to, to, to read Peter Carlin's take on the Emmys last night. Um, what else? Um, oh, you'll note, by the way, and by you, I mean Sarah and Tim, the studio may smell a little bit better today because I finally just... Did you clean the fridge? I did. I cleaned out the You're fridge. Awesome. And I was going to wait and do it on the air again today, but then I thought, why? Because, A, we've done that bit like three times, and every time I do that bit, I really intend to clean out the fridge, and then at the end... I put the food back in, and I, you know, and I say to myself, "I'll empty it now at the at the end of the show," and then I never do, and then it stinks up the joint again. So, and B, <clears throat> it was just time. It was just time to get rid of it. So I came in uh, Saturday and I cleaned up the fridge here in the studio. There was stuff way back in that fridge that was not only from the Scotty era, but I think it was actually from before the Scotty. I found a thing of Lunchables back Chris there. Carlson. I found a package of, like... Oh, I bought Lunchables, like, a year ago. That, uh, that round Oscar Mayer bologna back there that was opened... And it had been it had gone past the point of mold. It had gone through the mold stage, then to the dried out stage, then to the all solidified into one big sort of cylindrical cube. I guess that's a that's a contradiction, but you know what I mean? Like like it wasn't like you couldn't even peel off slices anymore. The bologna had become like some sort of meat version of that bowl of hard candy your grandmother had that was all fused together, and you pick up one piece of bridge mix and the whole thing comes with it. That's what the bologna was like. And, and I just and I threw out all the alcohol. I know that that pains a lot of people to hear me say, but you know what? I, F that. I just threw it away. So the fridge is good. All I did. Here's what I did. Though. The one, the one concession I made. 
is that I took all of the little half-inch remnants of alcohol from, like, the Night Train, the Thunderbird, oh, all of that, and I poured them all into one bottle, which I kept. So I got this, I got about four inches of, like, this weird rot-gut booze medley that's in the fridge. I'll see if somebody will drink that later. Uh, but that's it. So that I, I just couldn't take it anymore, so I came and I cleaned out the fridge. Um... Well, we should probably break here in just a moment. Uh, we got Lisa Desjardins coming up. Uh, I had this thing to say about... I had this story to tell about my neighborhood, but I don't, I don't really know that I have time to do it now. Uh, so we will just recap by saying, coming up later on, Lisa Desjardins, Steve Kastenbaum, James Roop. Uh, we'll do the top five songs that accompany a movie's opening credits later on today. Geek Watch, Religious Nutcase Watch, Taser Watch, Cannibal Watch. Uh, one random on-air caller today wins a copy of Sports Night, the entire series on DVD, the 10th anniversary edition. And it is September, all month long. So at some point during today's program, I will incorporate a Led Zeppelin lyric into our conversation. If you spot it and you're caller number five, you win a pair of passes to see Robert Plant and Allison Krauss next Tuesday, the 30th. Uh, tickets are on sale now at Comcastics.com. Anybody have any other observations, queries, before we go to the break? I haven't observed anything lately. Revelations about your weekend, Sarah. Um, bar backing makes a lot of money. Really? Does it? Oh no, I'm just I'm, I I had it last weekend, but I got to par. That's yesterday. I got to watch all my friends get drunk Friday and Saturday night, and I got to go home with a lot of money. That so is job I'm, security. People have to drink. I am very happy. That's I was, a recession-proof oh, industry, Sarah. You're never going to go broke serving booze to the masses. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take a break here. Back after this with Lisa Desjardins. Don't uh, don't go anywhere. Sir Rick Emerson, radio program. Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming along. All right, thank you. They're homemade. Oh, oh, oh. Was this already out of your pocket? No, he heated it in the microwave. Oh, all right. Jesus. All right, just for those who don't realize what happened, and of course that would be everybody except for Sarah and myself. So we were just coming back from a break. Richie opens the door to the studio. This is like 10 seconds ago. Walks in. And then reaches into his pocket and hands me something. And like an idiot, and first of all, let me just say this is a little life lesson for me to you. At any point in your life, should you be walking down the street or, you know, to be at some sort of a social function and you see Richie Bristol walking toward you and he reaches into his pocket and hands you something, probably just err on the side of caution and don't take that. Maybe the default setting is don't put out your own hand in return. So in any event, so I put out my hand and he puts something into my palm and it's something warm and squishy, and I look down and it is a Rice Krispie treat. It's sort of, except my, except it's, I would say it's a body temperature, which makes me feel like maybe he was just packing this around inside a pocket all morning. No, I saw him take it out of the microwave. Cause really? Yeah, okay. Yeah, because it was in there with this one. So he just heated these up? Yes. All right, because the idea of having something, you know, just, I don't really want to have something some guy's been lugging around in his jeans all day. I mean, if it's really, if it's all the same to you, I don't mean to offend. Call me crazy. Uh, all right, so uh, CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins will join us here in a few. Uh, we'll talk to Steve Kastenbaum about the uh, Yankees' final game in Yankee Stadium uh, last night, which I think they're going to be... I don't know whether they're tearing it down either. I don't know if it's like immediately, if it's like, you know, you like leave the game last night, like there's some guy waiting outside with a hammer or whatever. 
But um, so we'll talk to him. We got the Jim Rube coming up later on about the uh, Emmys, which were last night. Let's see. We've got oh, and here's okay. So to clarify, the Emmys last night they were doing this the laughing wall of jokes thing, and it was Alan Seuss. I don't even remember who Alan Seuss was. So we're talking about how the the the, the laughing thing they did last night. The gag was that it was all the original cast members that they could sort of dig up who weren't dead. Uh, so Ruth Buzzy was there, Lily Tomlin, and then Alan Seuss uh, was the other one. Um, it, was, I mean, it was just so unbelievably off-putting. And even if you don't uh, typically read the newspaper, you don't typically read Peter Carlin's column, which you really ought to, you, you should do yourself a favor and give it a read this morning. Because, man, he just goes after that thing with just a, with just a pair of shears and a bludgeon. Oh, incidentally... One final note before we talk to Elisa. So we were talking about Patrick Duffy, and I think you heard it in the recap just recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might have either been Friday or today. We were talking about how TV's Patrick Duffy was the host of a game show on uh, the game show network called Bingo America, and we were all glad that he'd found uh, you know, the, the reputable work. Apparently he's been fired from that, too. And uh, his job is going to be taken over by Richard Karn, who played Al on the Home Improvement. So there you go. So uh, if you'd like to hire Patrick Duffy for your... I don't know, wedding, bat mitzvah, whatever. He is apparently uh, available. It's 503-733-2970. Let's welcome out of the, or am I? There we go. Let's welcome out of the Rick Emerson Show. From the Hill, CNN Radio correspondent to the stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hello there. You doing? I am fantastic today. Uh, how was your weekend? Satisfying? Oh, it was highly satisfying. All right. Uh, well, because you were now, were you off for a couple of days? Were you working? I was, I was, I was off to get kind of get my act together and uh, work on some projects, work in the yard. It was just goofy fun. All right then. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Well, we'll just move on, I suppose. So we are now. Uh, wait. So it's Monday. And so the debate is happening this Friday, is it not the Friday first presidential night. debate? No better time than a Friday night for a presidential debate, right? I'm kind of bummed that it's not on Thursday because, of course, that means that all my observations are going to be stale by the time Monday rolls around. I know. I don't know what, you know, and the truth is that they have picked the perfect time to miss almost every news cycle uh, for some reason. I don't know, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Uh, Oregon time. It's, I, I can't under, understand it exactly. And in Oxford, Mississippi, where really everyone else is going to be at high school football game. And so is this. And so is this by by design? I'm never quite sure, uh, you know, like how this is sort of put together. In other words, who are the people that decide when the debate's going to happen, how it's going to happen, the format of the debate, and all of that? Who who puts that together? There's actually a commission on presidential debates that does this, and there's a lot of folks who've been around forever, uh, essentially deciding when and where and how of presidential debates for decades. Uh, and they were the ones who decided these locations, these times, and also they decide what moderators and, to some degree, exactly what format. They negotiate, negotiate the format with the campaigns as well. But they're the ones that make all the decisions and you know they have the vice presidential debate will be coming uh after basically a week from wednesday will be the vp debate and we know after sarah palin was nominated that the john mccain camp said they wanted the format change they didn't want so many kind of uh opportunities so many long answers they these debates now uh will have there they used to be you know two minutes for this two right. minutes for that one. now now they are going with you know cnn and others are doing it good uh, they're following kind of the example of the networks and they're going with these more open-ended things the mccain camp said no that's not what we want and they have actually shortened the answer period uh for the vice presidential debate because of that and the, the obama campaign agreed they said we, we don't care whatever well, here's a dumb question why uh, why didn't the, the, the debate committee just say 
no, you'll do it. The way, we're the debate committee, and you're running for office. You'll shut up and do it the way that we want you to do it. You don't get special consideration just because you can't speak well. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I guess the debate commission thought there was some kind of plausible argument there. The McCain camp argued that Sarah Palin, to make it a fair debate, that uh, that having these open-ended periods of time would automatically favor Joe Biden because he has more experience and and they felt like it would lead into this kind of free-for-all that that they didn't think they said would not be helpful to the greater issues being discussed. They felt like it was uh, biased toward Joe Biden and they, they... made their case, and the commission seemed to agree with them. You know, i got to say that I speak for the average American here when I say that the people want a free-for-all, especially in that vice presidential debate. Are you kidding me? I mean, everybody talks about the debates don't get any viewers, and nobody ever watches it, and granted, this one's going to get probably higher ratings than most because there's that whole... The kind of Palin buzz factor, which has waned a little bit, but is still still certainly in effect to some degree. I think I speak for uh, just the average television uh, watching knucklehead in this country when I say that a free for all would, I mean, that'd get you a 90 share. So, you know, whatever, doesn't matter. Rick Emerson's not in charge of things. I recognize this. (laughs) Um, I will also say this. Uh, I don't know what kind of timeline you're on today, but I have an observation to make before we sort of. Okay, before we sort of move on to this. Financial meltdown, which apparently just has been slowed ever so slightly, but otherwise continues. Um, I was talking to uh, Bob Costantini last week, and I was—I forget how we even got onto this, but it was an observation that I didn't—I filed it away. So this is something I was about to say to Bob Costantini last week, and I actually, as they say, put a pin in it because I wanted to sort of give the observation to you instead because I thought you might appreciate it. Not that Bob wouldn't, but I—yeah, no, it was something you'd like to hear. So okay. Bob and I were having this discussion about the vice pre- about the uh, about the presidential election, and he was noting that you know the, the McCain campaign got a lot of momentum, got a lot of bounce because of Sarah Palin, but it seems to have diminished to some degree, and now things are you know, more or less all tied up again, depending on you know what poll you look at, and there really is no one poll that says anybody's got it all locked up. I mean, it really is still a kind of a jump ball at this point, and the question was sort of well, how can that be possible? It, 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 I mean, we've got. You know, eight years of you know, sort of things going badly. Uh, you got a president that really nobody likes at this point. The economy's in the tank. You got these intractable wars. How can it? How can it be all tied up? I mean, how could it just be evenly split? And I made this observation, which will then lead to a larger observation, which will then lead into a discussion of the economy. My observation to Bob was. That that phrase, the culture war, which Pat Buchanan, I don't know if he coined it, but he was the first one to really mm. put it into the lexicon in the 92 uh, convention, that I think the, the realization I've come to is that the American people, despite despite all of their talk about how they want somebody who's informed and they want somebody who's got experience and they want somebody who's strong on this and well-versed in that and an expert in some other thing, that really Americans vote on cultural issues. That's just that's just it. I think, I think we've come to... We've come to a point in our society where cultural issues, despite what anybody says when the guy's talking to him on the phone, despite what anybody says when some uh, jerk with a clipboard is trying to interrogate them about their political leanings at the mall, people vote on cultural issues. And that's a thing that the Republicans identified early on. And Karl Rove uh, identified that in the last couple of elections. The cultural issues are really, that is, that is and always will be the great motivator and hot button for the American public. And that is why, no matter what happens to the economy, no matter what, uh, I mean, I think as I said last week, we could find a videotape of Sarah Palin machine gunning kittens, and it wouldn't matter. Because my mother-in-law is always going to vote for the Republicans, and my wife is always going to vote for the Democrats. And it doesn't matter what either candidate does, because we are so culturally uh, and intractably 
polarized on the on this sort of a thing. I think I, I mean I think that's absolutely correct. I, I think it's almost like uh, how do we Americans decide what they're going to eat? Do they base it on what's healthy and good for them? Right. <laughs> not not so often. It's more you know, and I think that's exactly where the cultural issues hit, and it's kind of sort of this. Uh, I don't know, you know, it hits a nerve, and, and that's what people react to. And, and, and that's why John McCain nominated Sarah Palin, because the truth is all of his Republicans didn't love him, because he, he didn't hit those cultural issues, and they didn't believe that he was conservative when it came to abortion and to a lot of social issues. And they believe she is, and, and she, she sure seems to convey that. So that, I, think, I think you're right, and I, I think that's Democrats haven't gotten on so much. Yeah. Now, Democrats have come a long way when it comes to they will actually talk about God. And, in fact, Nancy Pelosi talks about God all the time because they know that they missed um, a couple decades there right. because they, they weren't talking about faith. And now, now they're, up, they're up to speed on faith and that faith is a part of American life. Uh, but you're right, the cultural issues, they just, they're not, they're not on that so much. And it is, I mean, you know, here's the other thing. The Democrats can talk about God right now for the same reason that the Republicans can have uh, a guy who's pro-choice or pro-gay marriage or pro-stem cell research given a keynote address uh, at the convention because no one cares. No one cares. People have already picked their team and nothing that can happen ever, ever, ever is going to change anybody's mind to a large degree. Yeah, I mean, don't you think though this econ- the situation in the economy right now though is a real? I mean, that breaks for Obama, I think, significantly. Don't you think? I suppose to some. Not so much. Huh? I suppose to some degree with some slice of the American public, but I got to tell you, I know a whole lot of people. Let's just pick. Let's just assume that I'm just picking on the on conservatives. I know a whole lot of uh, you know people I know, my friends, the coworkers, colleagues, whatever. Were they would not vote for a Republican if you put a gun to the kneecaps of their mother. I mean, that's it. They just couldn't. They were physically incapable of voting for Republican, and nothing you could do. No no evidence, no dirt, no scandal, no anything that you could dig up on the Democratic Party would be enough to make them vote for Republican, just because they've, they have just decided it's a thing they can never do. So, and this leads to my sort of navel-gazing philosophical point, which is that, uh, you know, you and I have talked about debate teams and debate class. And yes. and the, so people who were in a high school debate or whatever know that there are two different kinds of debate. There is policy debate and there is Lincoln-Douglas debate. Yes. And policy debate is all about facts and issues and stats, uh, you know, and, and digging up in footnotes from some. Ad nauseum. Right. Yeah, seriously. The, right. the three by five card that shows that there was a study done by Carnegie Mellon 15 right. years ago that proves your point. And the Lincoln-Douglas debate is really not about evidence. It's about who can make the best argument, rhetorically speaking, who can give the best sort of oratorical uh, flourishes and all of that. And the people like libertarians want us to live in uh, a policy society, and we don't. We live in a Lincoln-Douglas society, and that's it. That's, uh-huh. that's just the way it is. You bring it home. That's what I'm you know, doing. And I would lo- I would lo- wouldn't it be great to just have Obama, McCain, two microphones? An hour and a half, go. I mean, and don't you think that that would get... Hey, Sarah, let me ask you this. Because I know that you, you find politics to be sort of frustrating and, you know, that you just, you know, that the whole thing just becomes a lot of white noise to you because, it's, you know, because it all just seems like, you know, kind of a setup and a scam and whatever. Mm-hmm. If they just said, look, for the presidential debate or the vice presidential debate, you know, there's really no moderator unless chairs start flying. Not going to be any prepared questions. Not going to be anything. They're just going to get the two guys on the stage. They each get a microphone and they get 90 minutes. Go. And there's no rules. Oh, I would watch that in a second. There right, you go. Right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. That's how you get the electorate interested, Lisa. They need to do it. And, and who could back out of that? I mean, I think, I guess if both of them said, oh, no, that's a bad, you know, then maybe it would work. But if, it, you know, if one guy backs out of it, just one, oh, you're a big wuss. No, you, know, you get the other guy to agree to it. You get the other guy to go, I am there. Tell me when and where. Exactly. 
exactly right. That's what I'm saying. Nobody, I don't. I feel like you know, as long as one guy's in, the other guy has to be in yeah. on that situation. I feel like Ed Harris in uh, the Truman Show, where I just need to, you know, I need to be the guy there with the headset, just running this whole place. It'd be a lot more interesting. <laughs> Um, all right, kind of a big question in the time we have left here. Where where do we stand with the implosion of the stupid freaking on economy? Financial right on the meltdown of our economy. Yes. Basically, it looks like Congress is uh, getting. I just came from actually a a, a pen and pa- a, a, I don't know question and answer session with Barney Frank, the head of the House Banking Committee, mm-hmm. and he. It sounds like they're on track to maybe pass something either the end of this week, beginning of next week. The numbers are not the question. Sounds like the Democrats are on board the idea of $700 billion potentially uh, for a bailout, at least to start. Uh, and, but the, the, the issues that are really that's getting hung up on, one big issue is corporate uh, or executive compensation. The Bush administration says these executives of these companies uh, need to be able to keep their, you know, salary packages, all of that intact, or else they have no interest in keeping the company uh, running well. In Democrats say, give me a break. These guys have obviously not done a great job running these companies, and we need to, if we're bailing out a company, we got to cut the CEO compensation, which is what you and I talked about last week. So right. Barney Frank, that's where they're headed. So it looks like the deal is uh, we're going to pay a lot of money. Uh, you know, insert cuss words here, expletives, uh, exaggeration, hyperbole, whatever. Right. You almost can't have hyperbole about how big of a bailout this is going to be, and it is on track. It's going to happen. And it, it seems like that probably will calm the markets for a while, maybe permanently. It's hard to say, but... All right, we're doing, we're doing it. We're, well, we're we're putting out the cash. My, uh, we gotta. I gotta roll here in one second. But my 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 last comment on this is going to be this idea that somehow if you take away financial incentives and bonuses and whatever from these guys who run their companies into the ground, if you take those away, that people won't have any motivation to run their company well. That that is the same sort of logic that says. You know, well, we can't raise taxes because then what is people's motivation to you know to succeed and to make money? Right. I don't know anybody uh, on earth who says you know taxes are so high, so uh, you know I'm going to choose to keep a minimum wage job. I I don't wish to be successful, so it makes right. no sense. Yeah. All right, uh, I I have to bail. I'm sorry okay. that the that kind of ate at the time here. You on okay. tomorrow? Okay, yeah, I'm here tomorrow. I'm here all week. All right, we will talk to you then. Thank you, Lisa. All right, there you go. That's uh, Lisa Desjardins, ladies and gentlemen. All right, right now we're going to see if this sort of rollover system works. Richie Bristol assures me. That if someone, let's say Steve Kastenbaum, calls while someone else, let's say Lisa Desjardins, is on the phone because a third person, let's say Rick Emerson, has been running off at the mouth like some sort of oratorical tap that won't turn off, that uh, it then goes onto Richie's other line and he can then transfer it to me. Where's Richie's other line? Is that it? Hey, Richie, how do we feel about that system working out? Has he seen it work yet? No, he swore to me on Friday that it was working. Did you swear to me on Friday this was working? I didn't swear, but I think it worked. Awesome. So theoretically, Steve could have been trying to call for the past four minutes. Theoretically, Sarah, but let's try to think positively. Maybe he was waylaid by gypsies. Probably was. Let's take a break. We'll come back after this. Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth with the new News Hour. Later on, we'll talk to CNN Radio correspondent James Roop uh, about last night's Emmys. We got the top five coming up later on the day. Geek Watch, Religious Nutcase Watch, Taser Watch, Cannibal Watch. One random on-air caller today wins a copy of Sports Night on DVD, and we'll give away Robert Plant tickets. Stay there.
Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Coming up later on, Cena Radio Correspondent James Roop. Uh, we'll also have the uh, top five pop songs or rock songs that accompany the opening credits of a film. Uh, Geek Watch, Religious Nutcase Watch, Taser Watch, Cannibal Watch. Don't forget, one uh, random on your color today wins the entire Sports Night collection, the entire series on DVD uh, on sale next Tuesday, but you can win it today. Also, at some point during today's program, I will be incorporating a Led Zeppelin lyric into our discussion. Uh, if you spot it in your color number five, you win a pair of uh, tickets to see Robert Plant and Alison Krauss. Next Tuesday at the Rose Garden, tickets on sale at Comcastics. Alison Krauss is great. Alison Krauss is fantastic. I'm a big fan of hers. And, I mean, for better or worse, this tour with Alison Krauss is actually the reason there's no Zeppelin reunion happening right now. Uh, because the Zeppelin guy, they did that thing at the O2 Arena, for whatever it was, last year, mm-hmm. um, which was great. Uh, someone similar to me but legally distinct from me has a uh, has a bootleg copy of that whole show on DVD. And it's just, uh, it's, 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 it's exceptional. Um, but the, the, the Zeppelin stuff was really, really good. And of course, after that happened, immediately Jimmy Page is like, "All right, let's you know, let's tour." And everybody was on board except for Robert Plant. He's like, "I got this thing to do with Alison Cross. I'll see you later." So now the rumor is, I read this in the Sun over the weekend. So kind of you know, take it for what it's worth. The rumor now is that Led Zeppelin, I mean Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones and Jason Bonham are now so bent on touring as Led Zeppelin that they don't care Robert Plant's on tour with Alison Cross. And they told him, "You got like a week to make up your mind, and we're going to get somebody else to sing for you," which is. Sort of a scenario I don't like to contemplate, but we'll see. Anyway, she has a voice like a chickadee. Alison Krauss, yeah. really? What is a chickadee? Is that a small chicken? No, it's a small bird. It's a bird. <laughs> really? It's not really. It's not like a small chicken? No. You've never heard of a chickadee? Well, I have, but I figured it was a small chicken. Well, I they probably it was don't a, have them in Kennaway. I figured it was a baby chicken. No. Why would it have the word... It's a wh- chick. But, I mean, why would it have half of the word chicken in it if it wasn't a chicken somehow? I don't know. That's a, that is a good question. You know what I'm saying? I, I didn't name the bird. Well, they're like chicklets, and those don't have chicken in them. Chick-fil-A doesn't sell hot dogs. They sell chicken. How do you know that? Because there's chick in the title. I would figure... There's Chico Sticks? That's true. Wait, Chico Sticks don't have anything to do with chicken either, do they? Mm-mm. Captain Kangaroo is neither a captain nor a kangaroo. Neither, Stuck on that. Neither does Morningstar Chicken. Freaking out. All right, here's Tim Riley at the Ministry. It's of time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. So what does a chickadee look like? I mean, what kind of bird is it? It's uh, gray in color for the most part. Would I have seen this in a Warner Brothers cartoon at some point? I don't think so. Maybe. All right. Because you know, it's not like I grew up on a farm or anything. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh... So anyway, a police early this morning captured a man suspected of causing a hit-and-run chain reaction crash in the southeast. A man driving erratically hit a curb at the intersection of 162nd Avenue and Powell at 7 a.m. The van crashed into a power pole. Another driver, possibly swerving to avoid the out-of-control van, hit a nearby pickup truck. The driver of the van took off on foot, but everybody else hit at the crash scene. They were able to track down the suspect, even Lazaro Martinez, about an hour later. He was arrested for DUI and hit-and-run. Meanwhile, the driver of the car was transported to a hospital with minor injuries. The truck driver was not hurt. Are these people calling about chickadees, Richie? Right, let's find out. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Are you calling about chickadees? Yes, I am. All right. Uh, it's called a, well, at least from my information, it's called a chickadee because it's uh, the noise they make, which is chickadee-dee-dee when they uh, call. I want to know who it is in human history that was uh, charged with phonetically transcribing the sounds made by various livestock. 
Because you always hear that story about, well, you know, in America, cows say moo, but in Germany, they say rah, or whatever, or they say, you know, some, something more, more, something more collateral. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So, so it, it, the name derives from the sound that the bird makes in your, well, in your understanding. And then my understanding, yeah. All right. Excellent. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. All right. One more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello. What's up? Uh, yeah, I grew up in northern Michigan. We had chickadees up there, and, and the name is from the sound of the bird makes. It says chickadee-dee-dee, basically what it sounds like. I don't know what it is, but there's something about uh, there's something about people, especially people on the phone, on the radio, making animal noises. that I, I just something about that I find singularly amusing. I don't know why that is. I can't, I can't explain it. There's just something strangely funny about that. All right, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Yep. All right, there you go. Okay, we're downloading the sound of a chickadee as we speak. It's going to take a while. Okay, we'll get then. back to you. You get back to me on that, Tim. Okay, right. here we go. The sound of the chickadee. I would like to know how that... Okay. This, by the way, is a Carolina chickadee, so it's probably a southern accent. <laughs> it elongates its vowels. Yes. Yeah. You're listening to... The sound of chickadees. The wave. The sound Easy everyone. sounds for a difficult life. The sound everyone in the office could have. I would like to know how that came to be described as chick-a-dee-dee-dee. -dee -dee. That doesn't sound anything at all like that. Well, this, yeah, is, this is the Carolina chickadee. All right. Well, see, now that we're just now that we're waiting in, uh, you know, you into this, up like to our eyeballs. A chickadee. All right. So that looks like it's a little, it's, uh, like a tiny miniature puffin is what that looks like. I suppose. All right. So, okay, well, let's quickly go around the room. Thank you. Richie's noted here at the talker. We play everything. So let's go around the room here. Are, they, are there any animal noises that in actuality, that in reality, bear any kind of a relation to their phonetic description? How about moo? And woof. See, the woof I can almost see. I think the dogs say meow. Meow. That's probably the best one. Mm -hmm. That's probably the, that is probably the, the best example I can think of. Because a meow, you know, M-E-O-W. And how weird that there's a... Like a known spelling. Who decided that that was spelled M-E-O-W? It's just a strange thing. The etymology of that is sort of perplexing to me. That really does sound like what it's describing. Moo, eh. Cock-a-doodle-doo only really works in terms of the rhythm of it. You know, in terms of the in terms of the syllables and the meter. But it, it goes off as cock-a-doodle-doo in your head. You can see it phonetically when you hear the rooster crow. I suppose. It's like it's closed captions. You know what else? You know, you know what else is a pretty apt description is ribbit. You know, when a, fro a frog, yeah, frog actually does make a, 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 a sound that does sound like ribbit, phonetically oh, yeah, speaking. See, but I, the, the ba thing, I always hear it as a, with an M, not a B. You know, it's, you know, you see it B A A. No. And I hear the ba. Uh, see, I always hear the ba, but with an M, like a meh, like that, right? Are we talking about the same animal? Is that well, a like goat a, or a sheep? What are you doing? Like a sheep. Sheep. Wait, what does a goat say? <laughs> <laughs> the goat says. All right, we should end this now because we've suddenly become a great. We, we need that little toy. We've turned into a we've turned into a, like a romper room episode here. I'm just saying, for me, when the sheep makes the noise, I don't hear the B on the front of it. I hear an M. I hear like a ma kind of a thing. I don't know where the B. Maybe that's like a Spanish thing where the with you know where the, the B is almost like a V sound. I think a, a Spanish sheep would say the same thing as an American one, perhaps. All right, here's Tim Riley. A woman suspected of driving out of the influence crashed into a drive sober side and then slammed into a power pole. This happened in Loa, and she caused the power to go down. It was a Jeep driven by a 40-year-old Morris Field. She hit the power pole. The impact sheared off the pole at its base. 
Knocked off the power on TV Highway near Southwest 198th Avenue. Still have been driving recklessly when she left the road after hitting the sign that said, Drive sober, save lives. Uh, the vehicle left the road. Then she had a power pole. She's charged with driving under the influence of intoxicants and reckless driving. Uh, TV Highway was shut down for several hours while PGE crews replaced the pole and power. Then from the coup comes word employees at a Mexican restaurant held down a guy accused of robbery Saturday until the cops got there. Vancouver cops were called to El Presidente on Evergreen Boulevard shortly before 10 p.m. When they arrived, they found restaurant workers holding down 40-year-old Thomas Waring. Waring had entered the restaurant, went behind the counter, removed cash from the register, grabbed a pair of scissors, and threatened the employees. Well, who's threatened with scissors, really? The workers were able to detain him. However, one employee suffered minor injuries. Waring was taken to Southwest Washington Medical Center, treated for injuries, and then booked into Clark County Jail on charges of first-degree robbery. A forklift driver at the Clackamas, Fred Meyer, has been released from the hospital after he had a pneumonia line causing a leak. A hazmat team evaluated the leak and shut it down. They evacuated the area. Medics took the forklift driver to a local hospital with headache and nausea. Crews say they had to wait some 90 minutes to shut off the leaking pipe, and no injuries were reported. Here's some good news from Microsoft shareholders. Their board has approved a plan to buy back another $40 billion of the company's shares in the next five years. Microsoft had completed its previous $40 billion stock repurchase program that reduces the number of outstanding shares, increasing their value. The board also authorized the company to borrow up to $6 billion that will be used for the stock buyback and general corporate purposes. Microsoft received a AAA award from Moody's and Standard & Poor's. Microsoft also raised its quarterly dividend to $0.13 cents from $0.11. Cents. So they're the only ones that are doing things right, apparently. Microsoft? Microsoft. Oh, yeah. No, they know how to, you know, people love to make fun of Microsoft, but they know how to run a company. Mm -hmm. Uh, by the way, somebody, somebody we've had quack pointed. Okay, first of all, quack. quack isn't true because you would have to have lips to make a quack sound. Well, you know, not all ducks quack, only the female ones. Well, what the are the male ducks ones? Chirp. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see what I mean? There's something about humans making animal noises that just, man, it hits some sort of weird laugh button deep within my brain. No, only female ducks quack. But they don't even quack because... Yeah, they quack. No, quack, quack, quack. Okay, listen, you bastards. Ducks can't, they can't make an actual quacking sound because... Richie, go find us a duck. I'm just saying because the QU, while not an actual diphthong, is sort of that diphthong type formation where you actually have to have lips to form the wah sound. All they can do is go mack. So you're saying that sheep can't say ba? Well, no, 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 because sheep have lips. Ducks don't, they only have a bill. Wow, 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 could that have been louder? Oh, I forgot that you guys are deaf and you turn your headphones away. <laughs> Jesus. I can barely hear that. Let's, let's play that. Sorry to everybody on the stream. Let's play that one more time at a reasonable volume. Okay, no, I stand corrected. I, I think I do hear a B at the beginning. One more time. That sounds like a bad to me. Let's see, there, right. there are multiple sheep sounds. All right. Maybe this one's a mac. I'm just saying for the record, I don't think ducks say quack. I think it's a mac thing because they... Uh, or back, perhaps. I guess that takes lips, too. You know, ducks don't make any noise at all. I've come to the conclusion it's, it's some sort of aural illusion. All right. Somebody suggested hee-haw. Now, that's the donkey, right? The donkey say hee-haw? Yes. Okay. Yeah, hee-haw. Hee-haw really does... Oh, that's a scary sounding. See, but that's not that's not really any sort of front-of-the-mouth noise at all. That's just a back-of-the-throat like noise. Yeah. And that one's a ma. That is what a linguist would call a glottal sound right there. That's a little bit of a... That's just the sound of a guy coming out of your closet with a chainsaw. That's 
really scary. That's the sound that Mike Myers makes right before he cuts off your head. That's what that is. I almost don't want to take these calls, and yet, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello, Rick. Hi, how are you, sir? I'm good. So uh, you're talking about how the names come from those sounds that animals make, and it immediately made me think of hylogryphics. Apparently, they were not able to decipher what hylogryphics were uh, for the longest time because they couldn't figure out that they actually start in the hylographic symbols. They start with the, the picture of the animal, and then they have symbols to represent the sounds that the animals actually make. So my question is, how did they ever... Hieroglyphics sort of freak me out, though, because unless you have some sort of Rosetta Stone for that, it seems like it was, it's a thing that would be impossible to crack. I am fascinated by how they were ever able to figure out uh, hieroglyphs and what they stood for, because it's not like you're translating one sort of Arabic language to another. Well, apparently that's that's what that's what broke it was the Rosetta Stone, and uh, that's how I know this. Oh, well, there you I go. saw the Rosetta Stone in London, and huh. they, they they talked about the fact they have like three different languages on the Rosetta Stone that allowed them to cross-reference everything and make it work out. The more you know. All right, thank you, sir. Yep. All right. We're going to do one more on this, and then we're going to pretend it never happened. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. How you doing? What's up? Um, when I got was I lived in the Philippines for three years, and every animal over there, you know, I expected them to all say the same noises, but they go, no, the rooster goes, Taktaga'o. And I go, what? And they go, cock-a-doodle-doo. And they started laughing. They go, no, it's Taktaga'o. And cows go, nah. And every animal had a different noise. Nothing made the same what we would call. All know. right, so let's, let me clarify something. I have one. So I, I think, like, the water going out no, of the but, bathtub but kind of clockwise. True. That's not true, Maybe though. the animal noises go kind of clockwise. See, but that's not true. That thing about the water going the other way isn't true. Actually, know? Rick, it is true. If you look up uh, uh, even hurricanes and typhoons, once they cross the equator, then they're called a different name, and they do rotate different. But you're right, toilets won't because they're pressurized in one direction. See, that's so animal thing. noises go backwards uh, <laughs> below the equator. Oh, my brain is melting. All right, two things. One, when you say that uh, roosters in the Philippines did not go cock doo They went what? Talk to God. Okay, my question is... Talk to God. <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounds crazy. Um, so are you saying that it was the uh, the human phoneticization, whatever, the human description of that that was different, or did the animals themselves no, also make the a different noise? interpretation of the person who listens to it. And they all uniformly decided, I guess, when they heard it, that it says octagonal. All right, so but, the you human... Know, you and I hear the same noise. The but, animals making the same noise, but the human description and exactly. phonetic spelling is different. Correct. All right, excellent, all right. I really do wonder about these things, yes? <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's kind of fun. All right, thank you, sir. Hey, we love you guys. Thank Take you. Care. All right, Bye. there you go. All right, and just finally, I say, trying to solve this and realizing that I'm just uncorking a whole different thing, I was to, I've not been to Australia, but I was to understand Oh, here we go. that that water going the other way in the toilet was, in fact, a myth. And maybe I'm hallucinating this, but I thought the Mythbusters guys did a thing about that. I think we have listeners in Australia who could tell you that. Maybe. I was to understand that the so-called Coriolis effect was, in fact, not true. And I, I thought it was the Mythbusters guys that went and they showed that the toilet, uh, that that's a thing everybody says and that it really isn't the case. Now, uh, that being said, I don't really know. So maybe it goes the other way, maybe it doesn't. But I, I was to understand that that was, actually, that was actually just an urban legend about the water swirling the other way. But, you know, who's to say? So somebody should clarify it for us. And, and please, if you call up to clarify whether the water goes the other way, don't be calling up to clarify because it's like some crap that your cousin, uh, you know, Chester said to you. 
Uh, because then it's just going to become like that whole why do we tap our cigarettes discussion, and it's just never going to end. Here's like Tim Riley. Cousin or a third cousin. That's what I'm saying. Or, or a friend who knows the cousin of Susie Orman. I knew a guy who one time uh, roomed with a dude who is from Australia, and his recollection was that it went the other way. We do not wish to have those calls. Here's Tim Riley. Well, there's a new fueling station all over in Lake Oswego, but it's not for gasoline. It's only for electric cars. This is a new plug-in station. It's on A Avenue, just west of 2nd. It is the first of its kind in Lake Oswego. It is the Parade of Progress, and it's free of charge, at least for now. Uh, the plug-in is part of the same PGE network of five charging stations around the region. you think PGE is going to let people plug things in for nothing forever? Well, that was going to be my question. Is, is that a thing they're going to let you do until you get used to it, and then they're going to start charging you for it? No, until somebody, uh, until two people have electric cars. You, you know what it'll be? One or two no, no, no. Here's, here's what it'll be. Uh, is, now, is this like the thing at the World Trade Center on I guess Salmon so. or whatever that is? Okay. You know how they're going to do it, though? Because I've seen on, I think it's at Salmon and Almost Front, mm-hmm. um, they have that little charging station where you can plug in your so-called smart car. And by the way, can, can I recharge my cell phone there? Well, I'm leading up to that, Tim. Okay. Uh, first of all, I know that smart car is kind of a nifty marketing term or whatever, but it's just a tiny car. And it costs a lot of money. Like, yeah, it's a tiny uh, – no, 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 it gets 70 miles to the gallon. Isn't that basically just because it's a glorified pogo stick with, like, a little dome around it? I guess so. I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, I'm, for, I'm for whatever saves you money and whatever is – you know, it reduces our dependence on foreign oil and all that. The idea that it's that this is the car somehow revolutionary. I mean, it really is just like you're driving a little Shriners car. I mean, it's like a clown car. That's the only reason I think it gets better gas mileage. But um, anyway, but they have that thing by the World Trade Center on Salmon where you can plug in the car. You know what? Here's what they're eventually going to do. They will run. They'll do that stuff like they do the um, the, the, the iPhone and BlackBerry recharging at the airport. Have you seen that that thing at the yes. airport? It's like a little kiosk. Mm. Where you put in like five bucks and it gives you 20 minutes of charging and you can plug in your iPhone. That that's a man. I wish I'd come up with that idea. That thing at the airport, they must make money hand over fist on that thing. Oh yeah, it's a really really good. Uh, you know because I, I myself at one point was flying BlackBerry almost dead. Wanted to get some work done. Uh, didn't bring my you know didn't have any place to plug in my charger because I think it was buried in like my check on luggage or whatever. I go in there, I put in five bucks. You know five bucks, put in the plug in my BlackBerry, completely charges the thing back up. That's what they'll eventually start doing with these with the electric cars. They'll find some bank of outlets, and you're going to have to pay like 10 bucks, and it'll let you uh, fill up your car, so to speak. But this is a, probably a loss leader right now for uh, for PGE. So they're going to put in 12 stations in the area. And a PGE says uh, Portland already has the highest percentage of hybrid drivers in the nation. So oh, there's also a, a pending tax credit for electric-only vehicles. Why is this pending? Well, the tax credits for hybrids are set to expire. So if you buy a hybrid... If you can get one, then you get a tax credit. What is the tax credit? Do you know? I don't know. You know, tax credit for buying a Humvee is still twenty-five grand. That's great. Go yeah. and get one. Go buy two of them, won't you? This guy says the Coriolis effect is, uh, takes effect, but it's so weak that it usually can only be seen in calm laboratory settings, not in toilets, etc. See, so there you go. So that's the first shot. Now somebody will now somebody will email in or call in to say that that guy's wrong and rinse repeat. Here's Tim Riley. Well, could it be true? I don't know, Tim. I don't know anything anymore. So I have a whole bunch of things here to talk about the economy, because everybody else is... Oh, first, I almost forget the most important story at all. Can you imagine construction workers complaining about a nude woman in their presence? No, Tim, I cannot. Well, well it, wait. It's, Was she kind of a big butt-faced woman? Is that Yes, it is. Oh, she's on Hawthorne every day. Zinn told me about her the other day. I guess she's super hot. Yeah. Well, apparently, uh, the construction workers uh, were offended by a naked woman. Portland police took the waterfront Lady Godiva down a notch. Barely. They were getting calls about a nude online skater whizzing past tourists and rush hour commuters. 
But you can do that in Oregon, where occasional nude bike races draw police only for crowd control. And shows featuring live sex acts are protected by free speech. Well, this skater is Jennifer Moss, also known as Earth Friend Jen. Uh, organizers, uh, apparently, they got permission to skate naked in the city of Ashland's 4th of July parade, but she didn't get it. Police here told her to tone it down after getting construction workers upset. This is the only place on earth where construction workers would get mad. Well, but she's, if we're talking about the same woman, she's, uh, she's very attractive, is she not? Well, she's, I know the bike rider is because she's walked, like, rides around in a thong and that's it. Oh, wait, so are these not the same two women? Is the, is the woman you're talking, where is it? What city is this? Is this here? Yes. Okay, so is this, so is this woman in this story, Tim, Mm -hmm. do we think, is she the same woman who rides her bike topless, Sarah? I don't know. I know that she, the girl, the topless bike girl, my friend sees her almost every day on Hawthorne. Yeah, she was. Bike down Hawthorne. So maybe they're different people. Uh, Zin was having uh, dinner at that place, Pambucha, Pambuche, Pambiche, whatever that place, that Cuban restaurant. And he said that she was, wait, let me see if Zin's here. No, he's not here. Is he, is he gone? He's on Hello? Vacation, I think. Hey, is Dave Zin gone? Yes. Well, damn it. All right, thank you. No problem. All right, there you go. Uh, all right, so but Zin was like... Uh, uh, you know, he's like, we were trying to, you know, we were eating and we kept being distracted by this hot woman who was riding back and forth topless on her bicycle. So, all right. Uh, so the skater, uh, Jennifer Moss, uh, was arrested. Police asked her to tone it down after the construction workers complained. She donned a string bikini and kept on skating. Police say most callers are concerned about her safety. All right. So let's get and uh, talk about the economy, shall we? Because that's what's on everyone's mind. Now, Japan is buying a part of the U.S. now available at bargain basement prices. They're planning to buy a big stake in the Wall Street Bank Morgan Stanley. The Mitsubishi UFJ Financial Group has indicated it plans to buy as much as 20% of Morgan Stanley, and why not? Everyone else is buying up chunks of America. The news said Morgan Stanley stocks surging more than 10% before the opening bell on Wall Street. Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs have been seeking safe harbor after we did saw Lehman Brothers file for bankruptcy and Merrill Lynch agreeing to sell itself to the Bank of America. A $700 billion plan aimed at stabilizing the financial markets will be considered by Congress this week. Now, wait here. So we have a clarification, by the way, on the nude woman. So uh, let's see. Cheryl, uh, the Hawaiian, says it's the same woman. She's on vacation here. And then somebody else is saying, let's see here. We've got the it is the same girl. She's visiting from from Ashland. So I guess she lives in Ashland or she's usually in Ashland, you know, because her name sounds familiar. Jennifer Moss, uh-huh. her name sounds familiar because wasn't there some story about six months ago? We looked her up, yeah, a few months back. We looked her up online because she was going to be some doing some like, you know, look at my proud lesbian breasts or whatever. Uh, and we were trying to figure out if she was hot or not because they're almost always ugly. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who want to go nude. Well, this one's actually cute. Didn't, and we discovered that she was, in fact, attractive. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying she's a lesbian. That's a little... Stephen King reference there. Anyway, uh, so blah, 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 blah. So if you see her out and about, by God, in, in, you know, enjoy that little slice of Americana. Here's Tim Riley. So getting back to the economy, Senate Democrats proposed adding government help for homeowners on limits. And uh, they also want to limit executive compensation on the government's $700 billion financial bailout of Wall Street. The draft of the plan obtained Monday by the AP showed that the Senate Bank Committee Chairman Chris Dodd also wants the government to get a stake in the company's help in this unprecedented uh, rescue. It will also add layers of congressional oversight, including an emergency board to keep an eye on the program. Uh, President Bush has said such efforts and provisions that would undermine the effectiveness of the plan. Bush said, indeed, the whole world is watching to see if we act quickly and shore up our markets. So you're probably wondering what Hillary Clinton thinks about all this. More than anything. Uh, Hillary says the bailout plan leaves a lot of unanswered questions. I just want to be sure that's as good for Main Street as it will be for Wall Street. 
I want to be sure that if we're going to inject all of this money into our uh, financial institutions, the American taxpayer gets some value for it. So uh, according to our friend Seamus, who gave us the calculations about a week and a half ago, mm-hmm. uh, where this bailout uh, sort of rests in terms of you know what it compares to in the rest of the budget, so he actually gave us some follow-up uh, emails today in which he noted that the uh, if, if they do this whole thing, because it was 300 or 200, and now it's going to be an additional 700, which brings it to about an even trillion. And why not? Which works out to $10,000 per taxpayer, uh, which is almost double the largest item in the budget, which is Social Security, at like 500 and some uh, billion. And, by the way... I thought we couldn't afford Social Security. No. No, we can't. Tim, <laughs> but we can afford a trillion dollars to companies that don't know how to run themselves properly. And, by the way, this the total amount of this bailout, if, if it goes through at a trillion dollars, is going to be twice what the Iraq war cost for an entire year. So, money well spent, I'm sure. Uh, Hillary Clinton says there has to be some type of plan. Better late than never, but let's make sure if we're going to put $700 billion of our money into these institutions, we know what we're getting for it. And that's what we're going to hammer out this week. She wishes the plan to rescue the banks hadn't taken so long. I feel like we have just been, uh, you know, twiddling our thumbs while the financial uh, institutions of our country were going down the tubes. Imagine that. So then we have uh, U.S. Uh, Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson on Meet the Press. He says uh, this financial crisis has been very, very humbling. We're an entrepreneurial people, a hardworking people, and we will work through this. We always do. I wouldn't bet against the American people. He says uh, foreign companies could be, well, we know they already are, part of this plan. A financial institution has business operations in the United States, hires people in the United States. If they, they are clogged with illiquid assets, they have the same impact on the American people as any other institution. Are you clogged with liquid assets? I was just going to say, being clogged with a liquid asset sounds like something that is sent you that colon cleaning woman. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just all clogged with these illiquid assets. I, I, need a good, uh, I need a good blowout. So it might not be as hard as uh, high as $700 billion, as originally stated. I don't like the fact that we have to do this. I hate the fact that we have to do it, but it's better than the alternative. And once we stabilize the markets, we then have to take actions to make sure this doesn't happen again. So John McCain uh, apparently was against this last week, but now he's all for it. The role of government is fundamentally is to help American people when they are into situations that are not of their own making. He says he's been uh, consistent. I've been very clear. The American worker is the best in the fundamentals of our economy, and they have been put into a terrible crisis by the excess and greed in Washington and Wall Street. And that's what I've said consistently. <laughs> I'm uh, sorry, what? Oh, Ron Paul offer his, his opinion. <laughs> the worst thing that we can do is perpetuate the bad policies that gave us this trouble in the first place. And that is that we no longer, over the last quite a few decades, uh, believed in, in free market capitalism. Then you get the feeling it's just a matter of time to Ron Paul. He buys one of those abandoned oil derricks. It's like 15 miles off shore, and he puts on a Napoleon hat and starts marching up and down with a bunch of people who call him Fuhrer. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, hey, uh, back on that John McCain thing for a second. So this dovetails with something that somebody was just pointing out via email. That, you know, he says Washington like 70% of the time. Why is that? Because, I don't know. But the upshot is that it makes you sound like a functional retard. If you say Washington, you just sound like a real gum chewer. There's just no getting around that. Also this, uh, so listening to John McCain, I think we can all uh, admit that 
Maybe he's a bright guy, you know, maybe he was, you know, maybe he's been a good public servant, certainly heroic and blah, 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 all that. But you know what? Think, looking forward to this Friday's presidential debate, and maybe we'll, later we'll talk about the vice presidential debate with, with Biden and Palin, because that's going to be a whole lot of, like, how do you kind of lay a glove on her without looking like you're not doing it? The thing about... Uh, you're not allowed to pick on girls. No, of course not. Um, although it is interesting to see that they've changed the rules for this debate for her. Uh, but, uh, what was I saying? Da, 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 Biden, uh, Palin, McCain, Obama. So this Friday, it'll be interesting to see how Obama sort of goes in there against McCain, because the thing is, Obama's again, a very gifted speaker, great orator, all of that. And, and McCain just, man, he has never found three words that he could not put together incorrectly. So he's no George W. Bush, but still, I mean, McCain is that sort of frustrating combination where you get the idea that he kind of in his head knows what he wants to say. Like with Bush, it's just, Man, his head is just one big vacuum. I mean, it's a whole lot of, it's an echo chamber in there. And so what comes out is just a whole lot of, like, is our children learning, misunderestimating, put food on your family kind of a thing. No, it's like, didn't I ask that question three questions ago? Yeah. Is there, like, a delay here? And so with McCain, you get the idea that in his head there's a blackboard he's reading and it all makes sense. But by the time it gets from Mr. Brain to Mr. Mouth, it is just a whole lot of bad. So I think Obama's big challenge is going gonna, is gonna to be, like, not looking like he's just running laps around him. You know, there's that saying in sports where you don't want to you don't want to run up the scoreboard on a guy. You know, if you're already beating a team by like 55 to one, you know, be a dick and run it up to like 155 to one. That's like let him win a little bit. That's that right? Totally, that's the thing, right? And I don't know. Come on, let's 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 just let him let him land a punch or two. Let him let him score at least once so he can go home to to mom and dad proud. And that's going to be the thing with McCain is just making sure that Obama doesn't completely clean his clock. Because then you're going to look like you're beating up on an enfeebled old guy who seems more than a bit senile. That's uh, just my observation. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi. What's up? <clears throat> you wanted to know about the Coriolis effect? Yes. The, in toilets down there, it's, it is from manufacturing. It's just because it, water will naturally want to do that anyway. So the quicker you can get it to go, the faster it will sweep away the stuff. But um, it does occur, it's mostly with wind. By spinning, the, it does cause wind to turn, which in turn reacts, uh, causes weather. It causes wind to bend to the west. Tim has never looked more confused in his life. Tim, do you understand anything? So, that so is said? there an option for a clockwise or counterclockwise running toilet? Yeah, if it's manufactured, I suppose, you could hunt around and find one that does it one way or the so, other. So let's bottom line this. So you're saying... It's not strong enough to make the water in a toilet do it that fast on its own. But, so, I mean, if you look at a drain, it will it will start going one way or the other. So you're saying perfectly still standing water, absent any sort of wind, will have some effect from this, uh, this Coriolis right. thing, but not a whole lot. The right. toilet swirling is a result of whatever way the jets in the toilet are pointing. Right. Now, in your sink or tub, you you'll see it, and right. that's from the Coriolis. All right. What if you the main reason, though, like I said, it's wind. You know, wind would normally just go, would rise at the equator because it was hot, move to the North Pole or South Pole, drop down and circulate straight in a straight up and down, as it were. But the spinning of the earth makes it bend to the west, and that causes weather patterns and things to occur. And things of this nature. Yeah. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. All right. There you go. Uh, the guy, his explanation of the water made a lot of sense. Every time people get into, like, high-pressure systems and wind, you know, moving or rising or warming, yeah, I have no idea. I, I can, I've never understood. I don't know what – don't call in about it. I don't know what a low-pressure system is. I don't know what, I don't know what a high-pressure system is. Sarah, you worked in, in television next to, a, next to a weather guy. I didn't know what I was talking about. All right. Do you know what a high-pressure system is? No. No, nobody does. Don't call about it. Here's Tim Riley. 
Let's do a religious nutcase watch. Here's your religious nutcase watch for Monday on the Rick Emerson radio program. This comes to us from Fook, Arkansas. That's F-O-U-K-E. Fook? F-O-U-K-E. Fook? Folk? Uh, six children have been placed in temporary state custody as they were interviewed in the wake of a raid on the church compound as part of a child port investigation. The children will be under the care of the State Department of Human Services during the interviews. More than 100 federal and state officials raided the Tony Alamo Christian Missionaries in a small southwest Arkansas town of Fook on Saturday as part of a two-year investigation into child abuse and pornography allegations against the convicted tax evader Tony Alamo, or Alamo. Police did not say how old the children were, but an email from authorities was sent to the media referring to them as 12, 13, and 14-year-old girls. Wait, who's Tony Alamo in this story? Apparently he's, uh, let's see, an evangelist of some sort. Oh, uh, Tony Alamo sounds like some guy that would take you hunting. Or a guy that would host like one of those outback angling shows. Mm -hmm. Not so much a guy who's involved with a church that was allegedly responsible for child porn. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is, uh, and this was, uh, it was in Arkansas or Texas? I'm Arkansas. Sorry, I blinked and missed that. All right. Okay. Well. So apparently this must be close to Texas because we have some uh, some sound here from Texas. Lynn LaRue, a court reporter for the Texacana Gazette, said they heard the news about the raid by an email Memo. The memo was basically a request to approve travel, but in the memo it talked about two planning meetings on how to handle the the, the uh, children from Alamo Ministries after the raid. They talked about what would be done after the raid. It also spoke of uh, allegations of child pornography and um, how they were going to deal with the kids because apparently uh, a large group of them have not been vaccinated, so they can't just mm. throw them into a group home um, or schools. So then we have this evangelist, uh, Tony Alamo, who says he's against polygamy. Polygamy is in the Bible, and it's condoned by God. Now, if you uh, weasels have got a complaint about God, you go to him and talk to him about that. I just preach the Bible. Ooh, nuts. Okay. Is that the end of that? I guess if you're crazy and put the word reverend in front of your name, you can get rid of it. Really, if away can, with anything can. in the South. Oh, it's sort of like filth be gone, apparently. Mm -hmm. Put that in front of your name. All right, there you go, uh... Accused child pornographer and man of God, Tony Alamo. Back after this on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Sarah Dillon's very happy. I am indeed. The engineering department just dug Sarah up an ergonomic keyboard. Because I'm getting like weird carpal tunnel and I can feel... I'm just even just practice typing on that. Oh my God, it's a world of difference. Yeah, because when you type on a conventional keyboard... Uh, by the way, if you work in an office uh, right now, you do a lot of data entry, you don't have an ergonomic keyboard, here's what's going to happen to you. 
So what happens when you're typing on a regular keyboard, in other words, a non-ergonomic keyboard, if you do this a lot during the day, uh, whenever you go to use, like, let's say, the Enter key or maybe the Shift key or something like that, uh, what you always do is you take, like, if you put your hands flat out, palms down in front of you, what happens is when you go to use the Enter or the Shift, you do the thing of going and you move your hands later, uh, laterally, you know, sideways. You know what I mean? Like you bend them sideways at the wrist. Tim's looking at his hands as though he doesn't know what they are. But you, but when you're typing away and you go to hit enter or shift, you move your hands sideways at the wrist. And that, of course, is a completely unnatural motion for your hand, and that's what eventually pinches off everything there in your wrist and just, you know, and then and the next thing you know, you're like a friend of mine who I won't name, but a friend of mine who had to do data entry all day long. They wouldn't give him anything. Well, you can't afford that. And I think OSHA in some ways mandates that you have to have an ergonomic keyboard, but Sometimes companies don't necessarily uh, hew to the rules, so uh, but they, they wouldn't give him an ergonomic keyboard. He keeps doing this thing, and his wrist keeps getting messed up. And then eventually, first of all, he had to have the emasculating like man brace on his arm, like it was like you're putting your arm in some sort of weird um, spongy cloth-like cast. So he had that, and then it eventually got so bad that they took it to the next level, and they gave him this weird. It was like the man with no hands. He they put this like a uh, like a headband like a jogger's headband around his head with a little infrared beam in it. And the deal is he would move the mouse by moving his head, and it would, like, move the mouse around the screen. What? And then he would click by pressing a little foot pedal, like on a sewing machine. So, like, it was like he had no hands at all. He would move the mouse and click by using his head and his foot. And that's what he had to do because he couldn't type at all. So, oh, man. Yeah, I can then, feel it starting to happen. I can feel yeah. it. Do you, do you ever get carpal tunnel? I don't because I type very, very uh, – I don't – you know, I type sparingly. And when I do type, I try – if I have to type, uh, I try not to do the thing of moving my wrist sideways because it's, yeah, it's a bad scene. So, yeah, he's always like, I can't even open a beer. It was like the worst day of his life. Here's uh, Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. So I got this letter. Is it from John McCain? No, it's from Jim. It says – I've recently accepted a new position with my company that'll take me and my wife to Germany. Uh, we both enjoyed the show, so starting this Thursday, we'll be relegated to listening to the show on a podcast, which is something that won't be quite the same. While we're faithful listeners, we want to tell you how much we've enjoyed listening to you live here in Portland. Uh, maybe I'm just biased, but I feel a special kinship with all those other lucky souls who used to start their mornings with the very excellent Star Blazers saga, but I doubt it. So this is from uh, Jim who's uh, going to Germany, and he thanks us for all the uh, Germany stories. I guess all the cannibalism there has... Uh... <laughs> too tempting to pass up. <laughs> yes. So I, I found some other Germany stories, too. Uh, a World War II bomb injured 17 at a construction site. An excavator apparently uh, drove over a 550-pound American bomb, damaging surrounding buildings. Most of the injured suffered a uh, trauma from the blast, and the excavator operator suffered injuries to his hands. The hole was astonishingly small for such a large bomb, more than 60 years after the end of World War II, weapons uh, remains well, an important task for police and private companies throughout Germany. The Allied forces dropped more than 2.7 million tons of explosives around Germany during the war. Uh, some did not explode, and it's becoming uh, extremely dangerous with time and corrosion. So it's an extra little bonus for driving down the wrong road in Germany. Uh-huh. All right. So you can look forward to uh, last year they cleaned up 315 bombs. All right. Have fun with that, Jim. Hi, you're on the uh, Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Is this me? Yes, it is. Hello, sir. How can I help you? How are you doing? Um, I was calling to say that I'm taking your advice and trying to enjoy unemployment. Yes, sir. How's that working out? Uh, you know, it's it's really weird because you're used to going to work and listening to some school, like tell you what you're supposed to do and all that kind of stuff. And 
now it's like, okay, so how do I listen to Rick Emerson and play Star Wars on my Xbox at the same time when I'm done putting in my applications and my resumes? Now, are you really finding that it's difficult to do these things simultaneously? No. Because, I mean, you have a radio, you have an Xbox, there, you're all set. Well, I know, but sometimes you got to listen to what Obi-Wan Kenobi's trying to tell you, you know. Well, I suppose that's true. Right, that which, uh, which game are you playing, sir? Um, well, there's that old, um, oh, my radio's on in there. Hold on just a second. And turn that down. All right, see? No yes. feedback. Okay. Okay, so I'm juggling right now between Kings of the Old Republic, but mm -hmm. I'm really not into the role-playing style games because right. they're just too friggin' slow. Lego Star Wars, because that game is just bloody awesome. Lego Star Wars is, uh, is righteous. Do you have the one the whole saga? It's all six episodes? Um, it's actually the separate ones, because originally right. I bought um, the original trilogy, Part 2, for right. my son, and I'm watching him play it going... Give me the controller. You're messing it up. Yeah, no, you're not doing it right. Give me the, give me the controller. No, my wife and I, yeah. last Christmas, we had the best Christmas ever uh, because we, she had to work and we didn't want to go to town and, you know, whatever, and just wouldn't stick close to home. So we did this thing the day, like two days before Christmas. We just hit the stores, and my wife, God bless her, she picked up like five different Xbox games and I think, uh, you know, like 45 pounds of food, both both upper class and, and, and of the bad variety. So we had we had sort of nice food for Christmas Day, and then we just had, like, boxes of crap uh, for the other days. It was just wonderful. Uh, and so we put in the Lego Star Wars game, and it was just where I played it. I'm like, ah, oh, that's great. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some – I'm going to go take a nap now. And I came out, and she was playing Lego Star Wars, and I, I, probably seven hours later, she finally had to drag herself off the bed. She was just sucked into that game body and soul. So I'm glad you're enjoying it, sir. Oh, that game's great. It was funny because, I mean, of course, he he started playing it, and he's five, and you never die, so. Yeah, no, it's it's a great game. So this, uh, so this is what we always say, and I'm glad you're listening. You're heeding our advice. When you are unemployed, one can be tempted to be morose or sullen or embittered or sad or whatever, but then as oh, soon as you get the next gig, you're going to regret that you didn't take advantage of this. I'm glad you're doing it. Exactly. I'm, I'm you know, I feel like a piece of crap because I'm, you know, no longer contributing to society. Yeah. But you know what? I'm also trying to stay comfortable in the fact that I've been paying taxes for a long friggin' time, and I earned this laziness time. That's what I'm saying, sir. And realize most of the people who have paying jobs, they don't really contribute jack anyway. Well, a bunch of mouth-breathing McCain-supporting right. idiots. All right. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. All right. Bye now. All right. There you go. Here's Tim Riley. So let's talk about the 30 Rock star, Tina Fey who never really thought she resembled Alaska Governor Sarah Palin. It wasn't until she heard it from a reliable source that she knew it was true. I was very resistant to acknowledge that there was a resemblance. Then my kids saw Sarah Palin on TV and said, that's mommy. I want to be done playing this lady November 5th. Stephen Colbert makes no bones about where he stands politically. The uh, political commentator says he has an idea of who he should be cast in as the role of Alaska Governor Sarah Palin. Should a film of the election ever be made? Maybe me for Sarah Palin, because I also have absolutely no business being vice president. Actor John Hamm is thrilled with his current job as Don Draper on AMC's The Madman. Hamm said the part uh, lets him flex every ounce of his acting muscle. It is a career-changing role, and it's the thing that you dream about, getting a chance to play something this rich and layered and varied and sad and funny and beautiful all at the same time, until very recently, very very rarely happens on television of any kind, broadcast or cable. It'll be curious, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens to him Sort of in the future, if he ends up being sort of typecast, you know, the, the same way that James Gandolfini was by playing Tony Soprano. But, I mean, for now, 
I mean, uh, you know, man, you get a roll like that, man, you just grab it and hold on with both hands. Madman creator Matthew Weiner says he gives props to the shows of the past as he picks up his own show's outstanding drama series on her. I want to thank all the people that went before us in television to make a show like this because we're just channeling it every day and we love going to work. How about that? Alec Baldwin gives props to one of his 30 Rock co-stars while accepting the Outstanding Lead Actor in the Comedy Series Award. We look good because of uh, our great, great writers and one person in particular. The person I want to thank most is the woman who in my heart is the Elaine May of her generation. I want to thank Tina Fey for all her great, great work. Wow, she's famous all of a sudden. Uh, you know, Tina Fey? Yeah. Well, Tina Fey, you know, here's the thing is because the bar is either raised or lowered depending on how you look at it because she came from SNL. Mm-hmm. And normally, I mean, the SNL has just got such an attrition rate. You come off that show and, you know, usually you just get mowed down. I mean, maybe you get one decent movie and then gone, nothing. Because you think, and, you know, it's easy to look back and you say, well, yeah, but what about, you know, you got Phil Hartman and you got John Belushi and Bill Murray. But, you know, for every guy like that, there's like a Charlie Rocket who was on SNL who no one ever heard of ever again. SNL has just been filled with people that walked off that show thinking that they were going to be the next big thing. And it was just like walking off the uh, the landing ship at Normandy. You just get mowed down almost instantly. And so Tina Fey, she started off on a real strong foot. I mean, obviously she was good on SNL, but then she had Mean Girls. And then 30 Rock, which, by the way, owes a lot of its brilliance to the fact that Lorne Michaels is the executive producer and I think has a pretty pretty strong hand on the rudder there. So uh, excellent. Well, I'm glad to see that. I'm glad to see 30 Rock, which isn't really watched nearly, uh, you know, as widely as it should be. I mean, that show just doesn't get great ratings. I always forget to watch a network TV. I forget it's there. Right. Because, because it's, it's too low. <laughs> it's like way down. I watch like channel 372. And you know. and isn't it weird to think, by the way, that, that it really the worm has turned in that regard? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say two things. One, I don't know what that phrase means. B, I don't want to know. Don't call. We'll talk about it another day. There's a worm, and at some point it turned, and I don't understand why, but you know what? We're going to save it. I that meant, too, but I don't want to Well, know. if you want people to call about it, Sarah, I'm sure they will. I am saying don't call about it. If Sarah would like people to explain the turning of the worm. I have always heard that, and it's like, because there's a band called, like, Worm Turns Green, isn't right. it? Right. Yeah, and I was like, why? All what right. Do you mean? Somebody call and tell us why the worm has turned on KCMD Portland. Uh, but, you know, how things have really kind of flopped over the years, you know, they, they switched around because... There was a time when you were watching, you know, network TV, and the cable was sort of there, but it was just kind of a novelty, and it wasn't really cable for a long time was like a bad ninety-nine cent store, mm-hmm. like it was sort of a gimmick, and you go, oh, that seems pretty interesting, maybe I'll see what's there. But then it was just like off-brand toothpaste and and in rotten cheese. It's just like, well, there's really nothing. I should just leave. Uh, it was just a whole bunch of cosmetics past their expiration date. Well, it, it was the same 30 stations playing Gilligan's Island over and over again. Totally. I love Lucy. Totally. Or you'd flip by MTV, and every time you were there, it was just a Cindy Lauper video over and over and over again. But now it is because I'm with you, where very rarely do I seek out something on network television yeah. to watch because it's all, I mean, everything I want to watch is on cable. I mean, everything I'm interested in is on cable. And this year, you not only had Mad Men that was cleaning house, but the uh, the best actor thing, which we thought was going to go to what's his name, Roger Sterling on Mad Men, mm-hmm. actually went to I can't remember his name, Cranston, Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston, who was on Malcolm in the Middle, but who is now uh, the lead character on Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. which is also a cable television series uh, and one that's difficult to watch because it's so relentlessly bleak, but is it, it is exceptionally good. I mean, the quality is is very superior. Uh, let's see, we have a couple of other bites here. Uh, Tommy Smothers goes on a rant. While picking, on, uh, uh, picking up a commemorative Emmy for Outstanding Writing Achievement in Comedy and Variety. What did he write and when? must have been like 40 years ago. It's hard for me to stay silent when I, I, I keep hearing that peace is only attainable through war. And there's nothing more scary than watching 
ignorance in action. So, so I dedicate, I dedicate this, uh, this Emmy to all people who feel compelled to speak out and not afraid to speak to power and won't shut up and refuse to be silenced. Now, where nobody his, cares. Where is his brother? Is his brother dead? I think his brother is dead. He's like a smother's brother. No. He's of a smother's brother. Have you ever seen, and I mean, I think we, and we've all had enough, I think, of people getting on television and droning on about this and that and the government and yeah. whatever. But, uh, you know, the smother's brothers, though, I mean, you can't, you can't diminish their place in television history. I mean, they were really important, and they really did fight the good fight against uh, the man. Have you seen that documentary, Smothered? I may have. I, the scary stuff was when all these hippies in the audience would come up out of their seats and on stage at the end. I mean, yeah. that was scary to America. I mean, that was this <laughs> totally. was like CBS Television City, yeah. the Tiffany Network, and, and these hippies jumping out of their seats and climbing up on stage and singing. It is worth noting that the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour did really try to inject uh, political observation and political satire into the mainstream when it was not acceptable to do so. And uh, a network uh, whose name escapes me uh, took a very strong hand in... I'm not going to say censorship as such, but in very, uh, very strongly guiding what those guys were allowed to do and what they weren't. And there's a famous, you, you really have to see it's a documentary called Smothered. And it is a story about the Smothers Brothers and CBS fighting this long-running battle over the content of their show. And again, way before it was fashionable to do so, and way before television developed any kind of social conscience. Uh, this is the Smothers Brothers were trying to do that. And there was this famous uh, incident where the Smothers Brothers wanted to end a show by saying, because it's at the height of the Vietnam War, the Smothers brothers, brothers wanted to end the show by saying, please talk peace. And CBS just went ballistic and said, you may not talk about peace on your program. We don't want to hear the word peace on your program. And it was like this whole weird, like, Kafka-esque, like, rabbit hole thing where CBS just went nuts that one of its television shows wanted to use the word peace. So you've got a chance to rent that. It's called Smothered. It's a pretty eye-opening, uh, no pun intended, yeah. eye-opening look into the history of CBS. And they're pretty liberal with us. Yes, they are, Tim Riley. Do. Uh, so there we have uh, the Daily Show host, John Stewart, making a political joke as he accepts the show's Outstanding Variety Music or Comedy Series Award. This has been a remarkable uh, run for us, and we really do appreciate everything, and I really look forward to the next administration, whoever it is. Um, I have nothing to follow that up with. I'm just saying I really look forward to the next administration, whoever it is. So Don Rickles, who we were led to believe was going to play a big part in this, uh, I didn't watch the whole thing, but he talks about how he met his wife while accepting the Outstanding Individual Performance for a Variety or Musical Program Award. She is something else. She was a, uh, an assistant at GAC when I first met her. And I said, I'd like to see an agent called Jack July. And she said, what is it in regard to? I said, I'm a butcher. I have a truck outside. I want to sell meat. And she said, being a wise guy will not get you in to see him. And today she just sits in Malibu on the sand with the jewelry signaling ships. <laughs> All right, then. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hey. I just wanted to, that last guy called in about unemployment and how awesome it was. I just want to say I have the same philosophy. I got fired from my first job last October. And at first, you know, I was really angry and really pissed off. And after about a week went by, I was like, you know, this is really nice. Yeah, well, I see, I'm saying, you know, no one looks forward to being unemployed. Uh, no one looks forward to you know to losing the job, but you know, you, say, you got to really put the you got to view it to you got to view it as the glass being uh, the glass being half full and the glass not only being half full but being half full of beer that you can drink at ten in the morning because you got nowhere to be and no job to which to go. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you got to with just a, and because and here's the thing and when you think you're going to be unemployed forever, 
that's always the thing when, like, you get a job four days later, and you're like, ah, crap, I could have been sleeping in all this time. So I would say you set aside, like, you know, some time in the morning, a couple of days a week, whatever, where you get nose to the grindstone. But I always tell people, first of all, when you get, you know, when you get unemployed, you take one week where you do nothing. Just take a solid week where you just sit on your ass and just uh, do nothing but shove Pringles into your mouth. Because you will value that time later on. It was a glorious month and a half of Xbox and computer and Internet. That's what I'm saying. Those are my people. All right. Thank you, sir. Best show ever. Thank you, my friend. Here's Tim Riley. The heavy metal rockers Metallica and hip-hop group Run DMC are among the list of acts in the running for a place in the next class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It has released the list of nominees vying for five spots in this Hall of Fame. The artists become eligible for the Hall of Fame 25 years after the release of their first album or single. The list also includes guitarist Jeff Beck, disco-era band Chic, singer Wanda Jackson, singer-songwriter Bobby Womack, the doo-wop group Little Anthony and the Imperials, rock band The Stooges, and California funk band War. The 2009 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame indications or inductions are scheduled for the 4th of April in Cleveland. The official list of inductees will be announced in January. Chic, as in, uh, as in yes. uh, good times? Yes. Good times. Is that chic? It might be. I remember, I think the biggest hit was Dance, Dance, Dance. Yeah, chic with Nile Rodgers. Wait, did chic do, um, what is that song, Le Freak? Yes, she could do that. So. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that they were already in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which doesn't make any sense anyway. But what can you do? Yeah. So, all right. It's uh, by the way, it should be noted that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This is, I think, going to be either the second or third time that they have nominated Iggy Pop, Iggy and the Stooges, and then passed over them. You know, because they had to make way, because they had to make way for Chic, apparently. So, all right. Well, there you go. Here's Tim Riley. Miley Cyrus is putting the kibosh on rumors that she and Dad Billy Ray Cyrus plan to bail out of the Disney Channel series that launched her career. The 15-year-old Hannah Montana star says she's fully committed to the series, adding, quote, It's what they gave me, this amazing opportunity to reach out to so many people, unquote. Cyrus says, I couldn't do it alone. We have an amazing cast that is so supportive, including my dad, who has been there for me every step of the way. Reports began circulating over the weekend that Miley and Billy Ray have been creating tension on the set of Hannah Montana by openly talking about wanting to get fired and coming to work late. A Disney Channel rep calls the talk of drama on the set just gossip. Well, another source says, quote, Miley is really devoted to the show, and she's really upset about this gossip. Okay, I got a great idea for VH1. Uh, because VH1, you know, it was funny. The thing we started joking about eventually came true, because we were, you know, VH1 did, you know, I love the 70s and I love the 80s, and we were joking, I think, years ago about how they were going to end up doing I love earlier today, which they, they now do, right? Because they're now doing I love the millennium. And, I, you know, and then they have, you know, there's all of those shows out there, the best week ever and all that stuff. Uh, so just as they did with Behind the Music, I think VH1 is kind of burning out the, hey, who remembers Pop Rocks kind of thing. I mean, it's just, in a way, they've kind of taken that as far as they can take it, especially because it's all kind of stamped out of the same mold. Right. You know, it almost seems to be like a, it almost seems to be like a decade recapping set of visual Mad Libs. So here's the next thing VH1 ought to do. VH1 ought to start doing career retrospectives or perhaps, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Because they have behind the music, and then they have that thing that's Legends, which is all about folks that are dead. So they have, like, behind the music about Metallica, but then they had Legends about Freddie Mercury. And they had the behind the music about, like, Cher, but then they had Legends about uh, Jimi Hendrix. So what VH1 ought to start doing, they ought to start doing faux career or life retrospectives 
as though the people were dead, even though they're not dead yet. So they ought to be putting together one about Miley Cyrus. And the deal is, you project forward her full life. And so you do like a behind the music about Miley Cyrus, where the first third of it covers her actual life, because she's only like 16. But then the rest of the 45, you know, the other 45 minutes of that show, you do a theoretical, like where you think she'll end up. You know what I mean? So you sort of blend the real with the projected. It's a great idea. Somebody ought to do that. So it's a behind-the-music recapping the entire, like, 54-year life of Miley Cyrus. And you just make up the stuff that she hasn't done yet. That's funny. I would absolutely watch that. There you go. Time for a Britney watch. Speaking of, here's your Britney watch for Monday on the Rick Emerson radio program. photo of Jamie Lynn Spears breastfeeding her baby girl has sparked a federal pornography investigation. Federal and local authorities are looking for someone peddling 12 photos of Jamie Lynn, the older sister the older sister of Britney Spears. Wait a minute, she's younger, isn't she? Yes. This is wrong. Okay. She's the younger sister of Britney Spears. Uh, her infant daughter, Maddie, and the baby's father, Casey Aldridge. One of the photos shows Jamie Lynn breastfeeding Maddie. And the 17-year-old's left breast is exposed. Now, they add that the photos were taken on Aldrich's digital camera. Aldrich took the camera car to his local Walmart in Louisiana for copies. And law enforcement officials believe someone at Walmart may have made extra copies then tried to sell them. Jesus. Okay, so let's just back up for a second. First of all, is Jamie Lynn Spears, she's 17? I thought she was 18 by now. All right, 17. It says here 17. At 17, uh, so Jamie Lynn Spears breastfeeding her baby. Casey Aldridge, he's the father. Is he the daddy? Is that the deal? Yes, he is. All right. So Casey Aldridge, because he's a hick, decides to take a picture of Jamie Lynn Spears' boob while she's uh, breastfeeding the kid. And then, because he's not only a hick but a rube, he can't quite figure out how to make copies of that himself. It, first of all, you idiot, is this on a digital camera? Yes, that's what he says. Why do you need to take a digital camera to Walmart? Yeah. Do they, do they not have Do they not have computation devices at maybe, Spears' household? Maybe he thinks they have to be developed. Jesus. All right. So, so Casey Aldridge, because he's dense, takes a photo of her breastfeeding. Then, rather than just going home and doing that thing, what do you call it? The right click and then the paste? Mm-hmm. He takes the camera to Walmart where someone then, and then he never anticipates in his idiot backwoods head that somebody will see a picture of Jamie Lynn Spears' boob and decide to keep a copy of it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And then it's out there and it's about, and now it's sparking a child pornography investigation. That's about the size of it, yes. That's about the size of it. Were you doing like a, uh, you're doing like a Bill Gannon from Dragnet there. Mm-hmm. That's about the size of it. All right. Well, in any event, so there you go. It's good to see, by the way, that our federal resources are being used to fight real crime, like Ed finding Walmart. a photograph of Jamie Lynn Spears' boob while breastfeeding. Jesus. All right, there you go. Here's your Britney watch for... Uh... about it, the less sense that makes. 
I mean, think of all the families in all the world. The Spears family would be the one that would know not to take a digital photograph of somebody's boob to a Walmart. I mean, it doesn't. It, I mean, it sounds kind of suspicious. How do you mean? Um, I don't know. Like that Casey kid just doesn't seem. Do you, maybe he was trying to get paid on that. Like he was. Uh, that was a little bit of uh, look. Uh, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Here's a boob. All right. Well, that's apparently ending. I mean, just the idea that he would be dense enough to take the digital camera to a Walmart. Well, whatever. So if you saw some of these Walmart ads, I saw a spot for Walmart over the weekend, and they were telling the audience, if you buy your pizza every week at Walmart, you'll save $300 a year on your pizza bills. So, wait a minute. So this is a marketing strategy based on your so-called pizza bill? Yeah. Is that now... You'll save over $300. Is that now a defined part of the American family budget? There's your heating bill, your clothing bill, your medical bill, and your pizza bill? That's correct. Don't get me wrong. I'm not opposed to that. I mean, Laura and I undoubtedly have a pretty high pizza bill every year. Mm -hmm. So, all right, so I can save how much, Tim? $300? Over $300. Wait, when you say buy your pizza at Walmart, what does that mean? Do they sell... uh, They sell pizza there. But, I mean, like, baked pizza or frozen pizza? I believe it's bake-at-home pizza. Well, you know, there's something you know, something to be said for that bake-at-home pizza. Uh, oftentimes, there's a market for that. You know, it, awesome. uh, that's what I'm saying. Uh, sometimes that is your best pizza value right there. Well, uh, apparently this is. You'll save over $300. Well, see, but here's the thing. You may smirk at that, Tim, uh, from your lofty uh, ivory tower in Tannisborn. That's the sort of thing that appeals to a guy like me. If I can save money on pizza, why wouldn't I, Tim? Well, I was just trying to bring it to your attention. I knew you, you appreciate it Thank above anyone. Thank you anyone. so much. Uh, hi, uh, Ethan. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's up? Um, so my wife over the weekend bought one of those celebrity gossip magazines. I think it was like OK or something. And Miley Cyrus is 15. She's dating a guy that's 20 years old. And now, isn't that illegal? Wait a minute. So this is Miley Cyrus dating who? Uh, some guy? Some guy. Well, yeah. I don't think it's illegal. I mean, it's not illegal. Model. It's not illegal to date. I mean, I, I think it's just illegal oh, if they're uh, if they're having, having the sex. sex. Yeah. Right. If they're yeah, if they're. If they're I don't know, getting it on, then I suppose that's illegal. But I don't think, but there's probably not really any way to prove that unless she gets knocked up. <laughs> well, I suppose so, yeah. Yeah. But I guess he's like some 20-year-old underwear model. Oh, he's probably a douche. We all know that's yeah. true. All right. Well, of course. All right. Thank you, sir. Thanks. All right. There you go. Uh, here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Dateline Vegas. MGM Mirage is building a new city center complex on the Vegas Strip. They say rooms in three of its hotels will use advanced technology. You'll be able to customize your room environment. The company says guesting at the $9.1 billion complex, which is opening next year, will be able to save the settings for their lights, television, music, and curtains, and have the room recognize them when you enter and leave. Really? Yeah. That's pretty great. Mm -hmm. This sophisticated technology will be used at the Casino Hotel Araya, and non-gambling hotels, Mandarin Oriental, and Harmon Hotel Spa and Residences. The complex will also include condominiums in a 500,000-square-foot retail and entertainment complex. we got uh, two things here. First of all, don't forget uh, that at some point today, we will be working a Led Zeppelin lyric into our conversation. Uh, if you spot said Zeppelin lyric in your caller 5, you can identify the lyric. You don't have to tell me the song or anything like that. If you can identify the Zeppelin lyric, your caller 5, you win a pair of tickets to see Robert Plant and Alison Krauss. Next Tuesday, uh, the 30th at the Rose Garden, tickets on sale at Comcastics.com. Uh, also, one random on-air caller today wins a copy of the entire Sports Night series on DVD. There's an eight-DVD set on sale uh, next Tuesday. Let's see. Uh, also, this. Somebody says, Rick, here's a question. Tuna cans have pull tops. Why don't all cans of food have pull tops? 
Think about a can of coffee. Why wouldn't we, uh, why wouldn't you want to have a pull top on it? It sure beats having to find a can opener all the time. Discuss. Yeah, I don't really have any answer to that, sir. That's uh, that's a thing that is. Uh, I think it's probably unknowable. All right, at the Ministry of Truth. Here's Tim Riley. The Dow Jones Industrial Index was down more than 370 points at the closing bell on Wall Street, rejecting investor fears about the possible impact of the government's massive bailout plan. The S&P 500 down 47 points, and the Nasdaq dropped about 94 points to about 2180. The financial bailout will allow the federal government to buy up hundreds of billions of dollars in bad loans at a deep discount from banks. All right, I have no, I have no answer as to why the tuna can is the only thing that has this sort of pull ring on it, because it does seem like anything that has, you know, a metal lid like that, basically anything really does sometimes does it. And you know, brands. and I buy uh, occasionally, I will buy uh, jalapenos. Uh, that have been pickled, and if you get a big, because uh, I'm trashy, and if you buy a big can of those occasionally, they, they pull it. But it does seem like anything that uses a can opener probably could be equipped with some sort of a pull lid, especially soup. Here's a question. Why does that, uh, why does the lid on the top of the can, like a, the, the Campbell soup or whatever, doesn't it seem like that could have a pull lid at this point? I mean, it really doesn't need to be tin. It could just be sort of uh, aluminum, as they say. I suppose I don't eat that kind of soup. I don't eat soup. Really? Mm-hmm. What do you mean you don't eat soup? I don't eat soup. I don't like soup. That's a strange thing to say. That's like Tim saying he's never cut himself shaving. No, I don't like uh, the only soup I eat um, is purely for dipping like grilled cheese sandwiches in. Like I'll, I'll have tomato soup. That's it. So wait, you don't? Am I twelve? You don't. You don't buy you know soup unless it's for dipping. Unless <laughs> it's for dipping. Okay. And, and even then, I don't buy cans of soup. I just buy the little, you know, like the the paper carton of soup. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. It's like the, the oh, I know what you're talking about. That soy milk comes in, but it's like that. But oh, 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 okay. I thought you were talking about the Easy Mac thing. I know oh. what you're talking about. You're talking about it's like a little box. It's yeah, like, it's a, like cereal a cereal box. box. Yeah, like, at Trader Joe's. Yeah, no, no, no. I uh, there's. I'll get the roasted red pepper tomato oh, soup. And I get that. It's so good, and then I'll heat it up, and then I'll make grilled cheese. Sa- I actually did this night before last, and made grilled cheese sandwiches and dip them in. I buy that box of roasted red pepper soup. I have five kids. You have five kids. Uh, no, no, no. That soup is really, really good. You know what else? They sell this tomato bisque. Uh, soup that's in that the little uh, cereal box thing. Man, that's some good eating is what that is. It's Raider Joe's tomato bisque soup. You could do worse than to buy yourself that. Um, but here's, I got two observations to make. Wait, hold on. Mm. All right. I got these two observations to make, and because I know Sarah doesn't believe me, KCMD Portland. Thank um, you. And uh, we got the worst song ever, part two, coming up later on. Jim Roof, top five, blah, blah, blah. A little of this, a little of that. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Here's a boob. Two things. One, first of all, I have this new, like, weird space-agey can opener, because uh, Lara got rid of the old one. For, there's three There's three kinds of can openers. There's the old-school kind of can opener. There's, like, a little butterfly thing, and you crank it onto the side, and you turn it, and then the lid falls into the soup, and then you got to fish around inside the soup with your fingers to pull out the lid. And then it's all, finger. Yeah, it's all, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's all jagged, and then you have cutting your finger to the bone. It's a whole lot of bad. Then there's the electric can opener. I Can I just tell you this? In my life, I've never once used an electric can opener. Can opener. Never, ever, ever. Wouldn't know how to use one. He put a gun to my head. Couldn't use a can opener if my, uh, that was electric if my life depended on it. Third, we now have this can opener, and I guess, I don't even know how it works, but the new can opener we have, it, I guess the selling point is that A, the, the lid when you're done, let's say you're opening a can of soup, you put the can opener on, you turn it, A, the lid doesn't fall into the soup, and B, it doesn't cut your fingers. And that being said, I don't even really know how that works. It doesn't even seem possible. I don't know how it cuts the lid off the top of a tin can without making it jagged. I guess it cuts around the perimeter, not the inside. But that way the perimeter stays larger than the opening, doesn't fall in, and then it doesn't cut your hand. And the whole thing is mystifying. But it also doesn't work very well. So 
That's a reason why everything at this point ought to just be coming with a pull top. Secondly, while we're talking about consumer devices and products that need to be uh, improved, here's the thing that, look, I don't need to know what you're going to do for the, for the economy. I don't need to know what you're going to do for national security. I don't know what you, you know, the health care plan, fine. Go to the moon, whatever. Chicken in every pot, great. I'll vote for a guy who can create either a plastic trash bag or one of those produce bags at Safeway in which I can find the goddamn opening and get it apart. I mean, I, I don't even know how many man hours in my life I have spent in the produce aisle of a Safeway with the little, you know, the clear plastic cellophane bag between my fingers going, rubbing it back and forth between my fingers, just trying to get one of the ends to open. For the love of sweet zombie Jesus. Can it be so difficult? And here's the thing. I've got the solution. I know how to make it work. You just make one opening shorter than the other. Bam. Done. That's it. On those plastic bags that you, and I'm assuming it's the same at all the major Safeway, uh, you know, all the major grocery outlets. I don't mean like I'm picking on Safeway for this. But you know what I'm talking about, where it's the big roll of cellophane bags. Yeah, but they all have to be the same length so they can all attach together. No, they all have to be the same length, but here's what I'm saying. Oh, like attach on one side but not the other. That's what I'm saying. So, like, where it meets like that. Mm-hmm. One is shorter than the other. One side of the opening is shorter than the other, and then like it only attaches. Exactly, and then it only attaches on one side for the love of Jehovah. Then I'm not sitting there. And then, did you ever do this? Here, let me ask you this: While you're sitting there, I've really tapped into some sort of rich vein of hate that was lurking inside me this whole time. Oh, good. Looks like we're driving next. Time. Have you? Picking up in your sarcasm. Oh, if I had something non-lethal to throw. Oh, I have you. something to add too. I'm throwing a rice krispie treat at you right now. Yeah. Ooh, I'm gonna eat it. All right. No, but have you ever done this? You're standing there, and you got three peaches and a pluot. And a pluot's like this weird mystery fruit that they just sprung on us like it three years ago. I'm sitting there with three peaches and a pluot, and I'm trying to get the bags off the roll so that I can put the three peaches and the pluot in there so I can you know, go about my business. And you take one end, and I know that you're supposed to look at it when it comes off, and there's some answer as to like which end is which. Maybe it's the one closest to the roll. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But then you sit there, and you go, and you're rubbing it back and forth between your fingers trying to get it to open, and it won't, and you go, Hmm, wrong end. And then you turn it over, and then the other end won't open. And then you're sitting there going, okay, w- which end is it? Is it some sort of, like, am I being punked? Is Ashton Kutcher sitting there behind the coconuts watching me try to open a bag that in reality cannot be opened? So all of this could be solved if they would just make one set. And, you know, here's the other thing about that. It would save plastic. Over the course of a 1,000 rolls, if one side is like half an inch shorter, you're probably saving, I don't know, five, six rolls of plastic right there. Jesus. Same thing with kitchen garbage bags, man. Take out one of those uh, garbage bags from the box, and you're just sitting there for like 10 minutes trying to get that thing to open. It's frustrating as all get out. All right, what were you going to say, Tim? So anyway, I'm at Macy's last night, not buying things, but just standing in line to pay my bill. Mm -hmm. So the person in front of me apparently opened up a credit card and was asking for an explanation. Uh, What are they supposed to sign, and what does it do? Let's back up for a moment. You were standing in line at Macy's not to buy anything but to pay your bill? That's correct. My credit card bill. You have a Macy's credit card? I do. And do you not pay that online? No. Do you use that by choice? Yes. Okay, you choose to pay it in person. Yes. All right, fair I enough. I want to walk out with a receipt in my Okay, hand. you want to know, you want to have tangible proof that the debt is settled. Okay, fair enough. All right. So so not only is this person taking up everyone's time asking questions about things he should have read up on, but his cell phone rings, and he starts having a conversation with someone on the phone well, the answer to his question is being explained to him when he's not even listening he's not because hearing. he's having a conversation on the phone. Uh. When did it become a, a, acceptable in line, in line, anywhere, 
to have a cell phone conversation and hold up the people in back of you. Never, Tim. It's never acceptable. I wanted to take it. I wanted to take it out of his hands and just crush it. But I was wearing my tennis shoes and I didn't think that I had enough strength in those shoes to do it. And that's the only thing that held you back. Yes. Okay. If I if I had like a, a, a pair of uh, my black work boots on, yeah. you bet. Oh man, well it would have been caught on security and posted on YouTube. I mean, that you would know, have been a hero. This is almost like a mini high concept thing, but really, th- there's all kinds of reasons why it ought to be legal to beat people. We could do a whole like it should that be. That is one of the top ones. It should yeah. be legal to beat people who. And don't get me wrong. Look, I have a cell phone. You, we all have cell phones. Let's not pretend that we don't. Unless you're some weird luddite, you have a cell phone. Mm-hmm. But of course, I'm not a jackass about it. Uh, and in fact, occasionally, Lara calls me. I call her. And if one of us is in the store, we actually we actually have a little phrase. We go. I'm being that guy, so I'm going to call you back. You know why? Because you don't be that guy. That guy's a dick, and everybody hates him. Mm-hmm. But especially some jackass who's in line in front of you, you're just trying to live your life and get home. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the woman, and that here's the thing. First of all, A, he's holding up the line because he's a jerk who doesn't know what he's supposed to do because he right. didn't bother to read the back of the card or whatever. Mm-hmm. Secondly, we should say, by the so way. So an explanation is being offered. Which is already holding up people in line, and he's not really listening. And so they're going to have to go through the whole thing again for him when he's done with his phone call. Mm-hmm. And by the way, we should say no disrespect to Macy's. They're a fine store, and I'm yeah. sure that they uh, they do their best to deal with idiots when they come in. So what, did the woman just sit there and patiently let him have the phone call? Yes. Oh, see, the stores ought to have... But it wasn't a woman, it was a guy. But stores ought to have some sort of... I'm sorry, that was a little sexism on my part. Yes. No, I'm sorry. But, uh, but don't you think stores ought to have some sort of policy where they just say... Like you'll see occasionally you go into coffee shops or something. Coffee shops are especially good at this. They'll have a sign that says, you know, so that we can serve you more efficiently, if you're on a cell phone, we will wait for your conversation to be over before serving you, which is a nice little passive way of saying, like, shut it. And if you're riding on Amtrak now, you are asked to have your conversations between cars. Yeah, and not just sit there and just chatter away like some chatty Kathy doll. And on British trains now, I understand they have the quiet car, but they don't allow that at all. Yeah. Oh man, it's but and you know and occasionally they have these uh, they will float these ideas where stores ought to be able to put those cell phone blockers in mm-hmm. that will thwart your ability to use a cell phone at all. And you know I'm fully in favor of that. And the FCC, the champion of liberty, won't let them do that. Mm-hmm. The FCC, to my understanding, will not let like theaters and restaurants put cell phone blockers in. Now, in Japan, they have those. You walk into certain restaurants in Japan, hey, I'm not getting a cell signal. You know why? Because there's a little thing in the corner that keeps your cell phone from working. Huh. Uh, there uh, needs to be some piercing sound that blows out your eardrums and teach them a lesson. Well, you know, here's the other thing, Tim. I'm glad you said that. So here's what they also have in Japan. Can I carry a, a pocket type of thing that might work to do that? Well, Tim, I'm glad you asked that as well. Let me just flip over my little page and make a note here. One, blocking. Two, interrupt. Pocket. I've got three notes, then we'll get phone calls, because clearly we've struck some sort of a nerve. A, in Japan, uh, it is legal to, and many restaurants and theaters and so forth have installed uh, little devices that sit in the corner, and they block out cell service within like 500 feet. Landline still works, and you can set specific exceptions, such as calls to 911, blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to quit your belly aching about the Heimlich maneuver or whatever. Uh, you just can't sit there and talk to your Aunt Lucinda about something. Second, in Japan, some businesses have taken a step further. If you try to talk on a cell phone in some places in Japan, like at the Opera House or whatever, not only will your cell phone not work, you get a pre-recorded voice in your ear going, cell phones are not allowed. Please hang up and try your call somewhere else. How great is that? So it just puts a jackass right in this place. Thirdly, I, of course, do not advocate, condone, promote, endorse, or encourage this. But I do understand, Tim, that uh, on the uh, Intertron, you are able to purchase... Uh, devices that one might carry in one's pocket, 
that will block all cell phone usage within a given uh, area around you. Yes. I'd like that. I'm not I saying... Use it on the max. In no way am I saying you should go online and buy one of those devices. Just like I never, ever advocated that people go to uh, certain websites and buy that little thing on my on somebody's keychain that allows you to turn off any television within 500 feet, oh, that'd be which is funny. deeply satisfying. So uh, don't do that. That would be wrong. I would do that. You also should not go online and buy a cell phone blocker, which you could get for less than you might imagine, which you could carry in your pocket, and which would block uh, a-holes from using cell phones around you to movie theater. Don't do that. That would be wrong. Rick Emerson does not condone this, and it's... The... So even though that is wrong, and if somebody had one of uh, these said devices, and perhaps someone was in line in front of them being rude to somebody... Oh, turn it on, cashier. cell phone, gone. Don't buy these devices. And you know what? And for no other reason, you shouldn't buy one of these because the FCC says it's wrong, and we respect the authority of the FCC on the show. There yes, we do. Jesus. I'm just saying. The world is just filled with stupid people, Tim. Uh, let's just do these calls and see what the people have to say. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, um, three things. First off, um, some soup cans do have uh, pull tabs. They're usually the ones that are geared toward kids, like chicken and stars and whatnot, mm. so they can open them easily and cook them. All right. And B, um, are those still... Cell phone blockers are those C blocks. Anyway, um, oh, thank you. Then, They're talk oh, blocks. Right, <laughs> talk blocks. Nice. So, and then the third thing is it? I don't think it's illegal for uh, Miley Cyrus and her 20-year-old boyfriend if they're doing everything but sex. So, in other words, everything but sex is allowed with uh, Miley Cyrus and uh, her boyfriend. Exactly, everything but sex. Thank you. All right, thank you. Well, I hope they're doing everything but sex. Let's move on. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. I was, was going to tell you the, <laughs> the future is here now. I was actually at the grocery store yesterday, and Campbell Soups, all of them, not just the kid ones, have the pull top. So it's, it's uh... Excellent. Okay, so progress does march on. I should have known that Campbell Soup would be at the forefront of soup technology. Well, and even the generics, too, because I'm all about the cheap. Yeah. You and me both, sir. Thank you, my friend. Have a good one. All right, there you go. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Is it me? Yes, it is. Hello, sir. Yes, it is. Hey, I'm uh, chiming the same thing. Almost everything comes in pull tops. Cans of coffee. Now, do they, food, do they really beans. sell, like, big-ass cans of coffee with yeah. a pull top? Really? Yes, big-ass. Huh? Fair enough. Yeah, fantastic. And, of course, I mean, there's always spam. I mean. Yes. Well, spam uh, spam didn't have a pull top for a long time. It had that little weird key thing that you had to use yeah, to peel it back. Yeah, that's been a while ago. Ago, All right. Excellent. All right. Thank you, my friend. Age. Hey, and the plastic uh, grocery or the vegetable bags, yes, sir. fruit bags, simple, simple, simple solution to that. I just don't buy fresh fruit. So. All right. And problem solved. Hey. All right. Thank you. Good day. All right. There you go. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Rick, the uh, pull tab is actually uh, alien technology from the Roswell crash, along with uh, Velcro and uh, Connect 4 game and back scratchers. The funniest item in this list, in your estimation, was what, sir? What's that? Of the things you just mentioned, comedically speaking, which was the best? The uh, back scratcher. Okay, I would have said the Connect Four game, but the back scratcher works too because it's got because it's got the double K sound right there. Right. Although the, the kids that were in the commercial for that uh, that, uh <laughs> Connect Four game were aliens. Yes. Voice number three. Thank you, sir. Bye now. Shiny, a slang term for great use in the television series Firefly and the movie Serenity. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's um, up? Used to work at a convenience store. If anybody was on a cell phone, I would uh, I would 
ask them how their day was really, really loud and try to uh, butt into their conversation. It was greatly satisfying. Or you could just start shouting out something embarrassing, you know, like, yeah. hey, your test results came back positive. Uh-huh, exactly. I mean, You'll need to get a prescription. How's your day, sir? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Excellent. Well done, sir. Thank you. All right. Two more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello, Rick. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, Hi, sir. Jim. Hello. I, I know the reason that the pull tab was invented. The, uh, it was invented so that cats who are really, really laziest pets will move at least once a day when they hear the pull tab. I would like to thank you, Rick, for using the words Jehovah and Pluot in the same sentence. Yeah. Made my day. If we're not going to do it here, who would do it? All right. Thank you, sir. True. All right. There you go. The pluot's sort of a weird food. It's like some strange... I don't even know what that is. What it's, is that? A pluot is, um, it's half... Well, see, now I don't even know. It's half plum, half... Kumquat? No, but it does seem like that would be it. Uh, now I don't even know. It's Lara Eastman. It's half plum, half something else. It's a hybrid fruit. Are uh, they joined together? Uh, you know, the, 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 Lara, she's got this whole thing for novelty fruits. So, like, if you can find, like, a, a fruit that is like a combination of two previously separate fruits, she will completely buy that and she'll eat it. Uh, so we, you know, let's see here, pluot, pluot. So the plu is what part of it? A plum? Hold on, looking it up right now. Pluot. A pluot is trademark for a fruit. It's a trade named fruit. That's creepy. Uh, it's a plum and an apricot. Band-Aid. It's a hybrid apricot and plum. So there you go. It is three quarters plum, one quarter apl- uh, apricot. Uh, and it's, it basically looks like a purple apricot. It's like big and has that sort of dimple or the dent on one side and it's purple. Uh, so, uh, I thought they're actually really tasty. So, and I don't, you know, and I don't freak out about like modified food the way everybody else does. Cause I figure, you know, I'm, I'm so hosed anyway, just by dint of living on planet earth, I'm filled with pollutants and toxins. So seriously, what do I care? But Lara's got this whole thing for novelty fruit. Uh, and so every now and again, uh, at the risk of sounding just unbearably cutesy as a couple, uh, cause I, I dig supermarkets late at night. There's a couple of things and I've talked about this before. I love things late at night that are open, you know, either like really late or 24 hours. Used to be able to go hang out at airports. You can't do that anymore. But hanging out at, like, hospitals late at night or anything that's open 24 hours, like a supermarket, mm-hmm. I'll just go and just wander a supermarket sometimes for, like, 45 minutes late at night because I find it really soothing in a strange way. And that makes me sound freaky, but what are you going to do? Sarah hangs out in the mortuary and reads books. So I will sometimes just find a supermarket, and I'll just go at 1 in the morning and just wander the aisles for a while. But uh, but I'll do this thing every now and again, going to try to find a mystery fruit or vegetable for Lara. In other words, a vegetable or a fruit that she cannot identify by sight. And I'll bring it home, and it'll be waiting in the fridge for her. And she'll open the fridge and go, like, what the hell is that? And I'll say, it's your mystery fruit. And then she's got to figure out what it is and how to prepare it without, like, me telling her what it is. And the pluot was one of the first things I did there. So one more, and then we'll do one more story, then we'll break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Well, that counts, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Tim Riley, let's do one more before the break. British employees of the Wall Street Investment House of Lehman Brothers is up in arms, or up in arms, about bonuses for the Lehman staffers in New York. As many as 10,000 Lehman employees in New York are expected to share an outstanding $2.5 billion bonus. And that's not all. Apparently, the British employees are upset over the transfer of $8 billion from the lended operation to the Lehman operation in New York. Apparently, it was a mistake. The lended office demanded the money be returned. And so far, the Lehman office in the U.S. has not replied. You know, the whole thing is just so badly run. I mean, I'm saying the thing everybody else has been saying, and I know to some degree, and see, Tim, you know way more about this than I do. But the, not that much. I understand the bailout is necessary on some level because if we don't bail out these companies, well, here's a dumb question, Tim. What if we didn't bail out these companies? I know I should have asked Lisa this, but what if we didn't? What would happen? Well, then there, there would be a, a huge crash. 
a lot of the people would be out of, there has to be some kind of banking system. Right. That's, that's right. what makes the country go. Right. And unless all these elements are put in place, all of a sudden the economy goes down the drain because it's, it's based on growth and borrowing and building. Can I ask you a stupid question? Yes. Now, I, Tim, I don't advocate communism, as you know. No. But this is one big socialist bailout. Well, that's my thing. So, and I only ask this, and then we'll have to have the discussion on the other side. And I only ask this out of pure idiot curiosity. Why don't we just, why isn't the government the bank? I mean, and people can say, well, because it's capitalism, whatever. But the, but the government has to step in and you know, secure all this crap anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when it says FDIC insured, that is the federal government insuring your money. Mm-hmm. Here, the federal government is stepping in trillion-dollar bailout. I mean, if the government's the one who's on the hook for it anyway, why don't we just skip to the bottom of the page and have the government be the bank? And people say, well, Rick, the government shouldn't be responsible for handing our money. They're dense. Well, here we had private companies handling the money, and they didn't do a very good job, it seems like. So, I mean, if the government's the one who ends up having to take care of it regardless, it seems like just a more streamlined way to just eliminate all the middlemen and just have the stupid freaking government be the bank. I mean, because it's just one group of idiots taking over from another group of idiots. That is true. All right. And where's Mitt Romney and all this who wants more freedom for American business? I don't know, Tim. Because their hands are tied. I'll, uh, I'll play us in the break here, and we'll come back. More from Tim Riley around the corner. Your phone calls. Don't forget, one random on-air caller today wins a copy of Sports Night, the entire series on DVD. Don't tell anybody. I took it home and watched it over the weekend. It's fantastic. Are they getting your used copy? Oh. Yeah, somebody's going to get my used copy, by the way. It's going to be opened, and it's got my grubby paw prints all over it. But I'll make it up for it. I'll put like a, I'll put like a fiver or something in there. Some macaroni and cheese. Seriously, I'll put like a I'll put a I'll put a I'll put a lock of my hair inside. Uh, and uh, at some point in today's program, it hasn't happened yet. We'll be working a Led Zeppelin lyric into our conversation. At some point, I will use a Led Zeppelin lyric in conversation. If you spot it and you're caller five, you want a pair of tickets to see Robert Plant and Allison Krauss uh, next Tuesday at the Rose Garden. All right, we heard the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, nominations. Uh, including these guys, Iggy Pop and the Stooges, one of the great American bands. This is uh, Gimme Danger. Back after this on the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere.
I have no recollection of putting this bed in. Way to go. I mean, I like it. It's okay. It's a really long build-up, though. That was like a 25-second build-up. Kind of a Swiss Beats kind of a thing, but all right, whatever. Uh, why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program, home of the world's finest bumper music. Okay, so, Tim, uh, apparently uh, Dick's mother's not dead, and I guess the camera showed him repeatedly during his brother's speech. My bad. Hmm. Sorry, Dick. Not dead. Uh, and also this. Rick, Captain Kangaroo is neither a captain nor a kangaroo, but did Mr. Green Jeans actually wear green jeans? Tim? I believe so. All right, there you go. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Just a moment more from Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Uh, and I got the, improbably enough, I have more to say about this business of opening a plastic bag. So we'll get to that. But first, ladies and gentlemen, from Los Angeles, California, uh, CNN Radio correspondent Jim Roop. Hello, sir. Howdy. I am, uh, I'm good today. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. All right, there you go. Um, you know a phrase that people don't use often enough, how do? How do? Like a mini pearl kind of a thing. No, she said howdy. Who said how do? The Minnie Pearl's thing was Howdy. Was that Howdy, her thing? Yeah, right. that was her. All right. Hey, you suppose Minnie Pearl was ever hot? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, we had somebody trying to make the case last week that Ruth Buzzy was, was at one point kind of a looker, and I don't believe that was true. I and, don't think that would be the case. Yeah, and uh, older than older than dirt now, and and I think was part. Of, she was part of the laughing wall of man. Did Yucks you see night. that last night? I saw part of it. I was I was saying uh, at the beginning of the show. I mean, here's the thing. I, I have failed today. I am made out of fail because I did a – as a talk show host, you are supposed to watch whatever the night's big TV event is so you can talk about it the next day with, you, you know – the Dallas scam, didn't you? <laughs> the people. Yeah, I just I just sat around my house and I watched a rerun of Mad Men and then I watched The Wire with my wife. I was watching a show not even on the air anymore. Uh, and then – Jesus, and then I read a book. How horrible is that? It makes me a bad American. I read a book. So I, I, and I flipped by and I watched a little bit of the Emmys, but it's like every time I tuned in, it was so unbelievably soul-scorchingly bad. It was terrible. I couldn't, I just, I gave up and I know that I weakened and I didn't watch it, which I should have for show prep. And I didn't. So I watched a little bit of it this morning. Some of it was on the net and I saw a little bit of the laughing thing, but just enough to see that everybody looked kind of bad. Well, um, it, it was, it was so, what they should have done. And I can't believe they didn't catch this during the rehearsal is to realize these folks aren't as spry as they were in the uh -huh. early 70s. They're not that quick anymore. And so it's going to be sad to see. Yeah. And they should have run a couple of clips about how quick and and, and topical and, and uh, irreverent they were. And then have them all there to wave and shake hands and say a couple of things. Yeah. But not try and reenact it a hundred years later. I mean, it looked, it looked, and I, I'm a, I'm, Gary Owens is a great friend of mine. I worked with him for years. I saw him, in fact, we were going through security together, and we were talking for a while, and he said, hey, we got this great thing coming up. I hope you'll enjoy it. I have to go get my tux on now. Does he talk like that yes, when he's he not? Does. Really? Oh, that's yeah. so cool. But he's, he's very cool. And, right. and, 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 uh, and I, I said, oh, great. I can't wait to see it. You know, we'll talk afterwards. He said, okay, great. And I didn't have the heart to go talk to him right. afterwards. Because you, you either have to be honest or you have to lie. Yeah. And, I, you know, oh, man, he would ask me to. He'd say, what did you, what did you really think? Well, you don't want to really know. Stunk up <laughs> so the I joints. Just, I just acted like I had something else to do. I was in the bathroom, Gary. I'm sorry. It was. Uh... It was real. And but what the worst part was that opening with those five oh, dude ding dongs that came out and they did that stupid bit and they tried to pan it off as if it were 
not a scripted thing. But come on, Howie Mandel is a great improv guy. Tom Bergeron ain't bad either at, at, at using his brain. And if anything, if something was dying, those two guys could have pulled it out of the mud. But because it was scripted, they had to leave it sit in that mud, and it kept sinking and sinking and sinking, and no one could drag the rest of that show out of the mud from the moment it opened up. And when you open that bad, there's really no, I mean, see, but, well, there's nowhere to go but up. But, I mean, it just set the tone for the whole thing. If and the, Ruth Buzzy came out naked, it wouldn't have changed anything. The, it was still the worst show ever. It's like they had set phasers to suck, is what oh. they did. Good Lord. I, there were a couple of great things. I thought the Josh Groban thing when he sang the all medley. the theme songs, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and it was kind of weird. It was, it was almost creepy, but it was really good. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, Tommy Smothers was great. Don Rickles was dynamite. Sure. Uh, he was even better backstage. You know, and, and that that's kind of like those are the highlights. Uh, the two things are, uh, one... First of all, it was great when, uh, was it Jeremy Piven that came out? Because he, he was the first winner of the night, I oh, think. Oh, yeah. And he actually, Jeremy Piven, who I love, got up there and he won, you know, for Entourage. And he said, uh, he said, what? So if I just, just turned off my own microphone there. Uh, he said, what? So can I just get up here and, like, talk for 12 minutes and nobody will stop me? <laughs> which is a great little way to deflate all of that tension about that opening, which was just. Uh, he did a great job of, yeah. of the, all that nervous giggle turned into laughter at that point. Yeah. So it, it did break the mood. Um, I dig that Mad Men won a lot. Uh, you know, 30 Rock, great show, all yep. that. Jeff Probst won, was the first reality award, right? Yeah. Uh, which is good. You know, he's kind of been doing it longer than almost anybody out there in terms of being on a reality show. Uh, you know, somebody emailed me this question earlier, and I don't really have the answer to it, which is that. Every time one of these shows happens, last night being an extreme example, but every time one of these shows happens, everybody the next day is like, God, those jokes are so bad, and they're stale, and it's awful. And yet, like, Bruce Valanche just keeps getting tapped to write everything. At some point, wouldn't you figure they, they realize that network television ratings and that the audience is being just, just eaten away every single day, and these award shows have become so interminable that they're going to have to do, like, a full reboot. They're going to well, have to do a reset. Yeah, I don't think the, the Emmys work like the Oscars. The, the um, uh, Bruce Valanche and those guys are writing as the show's going during the Oscars. I think this show was scripted, done, and that was it. I didn't see anybody hanging around with a pen and paper saying, here, right. say this. Right. Because there was no host to hand that off to. Right. Pardon me, getting that in the preposition. It, well, that's the problem when you, have, when you have 8 million people trying to host one thing, it falls apart. You need that one guy or that one person to weave all those elements together and to bring it back where it's supposed to be if yep. it goes astray. And you, we didn't have that. Um, and it does seem like, I mean, you know, if, if this were an MTV production, MTV is very, very good at reinventing themselves. And, you know, with every generation, they sort of scrap everything and then they rebuild it for that generation. And these, these network award shows are going to have to, they're going to have to do the same thing or they are just going to be, man, they're going to be put out to pasture just by dint of the fact that nobody's going to watch. Well, and they sit there and they wonder why every year the audience viewership goes down. It's the worst Emmys ever in terms of ratings. It, it's the ever. worst Emmys ever in terms of anything. Yeah. I mean, and I sat there just wanting to shoot myself. For the entire three hours, it felt like an entire day. Well, it was an entire day. I mean, I got there very early. But when that show started, I thought, great, three more hours. You know, an hour later, I thought, wow, three more hours. <laughs> you know, it was just, it was terrible. I mean, it was excruciating. And to have to sit there and wait for people to come backstage means i got to sit there and watch more of it. Yeah. You know? And it was just really bad. I, I... I and they started to do it right toward the end because they ran out of time. They just announced the winners, and the guy came out. Again, I can do this thing in a half-hour luncheon, man. Give me a million bucks, and I'll put on the show for you. I think at one point they actually started – I think at one point they mentioned later on in the broadcast that people would come out and go like, well, look, 
uh, all my crap got cut because of uh, you know because yeah. of Howie Mandel's thing that just went on interminably. So uh, oh, the guy who wrote the guy who wrote uh, uh, John Adams, I forgot his name now. Backstage, yeah, because yeah. they cut his acceptance speech off, and backstage he was saying it's amazing how we can devote thirty minutes to reality show hosts. And I can't. And and uh, people who really write the words and create the work don't get three seconds to say anything. Yeah. I mean, he really bashed it last night. It was perfect. It was well done. You know, it was just really sad. I felt bad for everybody. Yeah. No, it's, it was one of those things. As my wife sometimes says when we're watching a program like that, she'll say, "I am embarrassed for all of us yes. right now." As all, a human. Yeah. As we as watching. Yeah. Whether you're writing yeah. it, acting in it, or whether you're at home watching it, 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 it brings shame upon us all. The only good thing about an Emmy's like last night. Is that it was just such an unmitigated cluster f. I mean, I went I went online this morning and amazingly enough, the network is making no clips of that show available. They uh, aren't posting anything, and so There's it was post. so bad that next year they almost have to to reboot it somehow, do something different. They have to. They won't. It's it's amazing too that. John Schaffner, the president and CEO, right. didn't come back last night. Usually they come back and yeah. say, hey, it was a great show. Uh, none of those reality show gimps came back. Yeah, he's in his I limo mean, cracking open some bourbon. Oh, man, because, uh, you know, I was ready with what – you can't possibly be happy with I hope you're not getting paid, you know. I was ready to just jump all over it. And I tried to ask a couple of people who came back, you know, what'd you think of that? Um, uh, I'm happy to be here, get uh -huh. my doorstop and go home. You know, all come right. on. Yeah. How humiliated are you on a scale of one to ten? So. You know, you, you got you got some gold in there with Glenn Close right. and, and uh, Don Rickles and and. Uh, uh, you know, the the, the guy from uh, John Hamm from uh, Mad Men, sure. when he came back, he was real articulate backstage. Everybody was great. Stuart. Jeremy Piven was perfect. I, I just like that guy. You know, period. he's a good guy. And then Stuart and Colbert are always, you know, they're yeah. funny. They bring their game. But, uh, you know, it seems like they ought to be, man, find some of those daily show writers. Have them crank out uh, one of those award shows. I mean, if know? only, you know, if Wishing made it so. Yeah. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, John Stewart should host the darn thing. Yeah. You know, or maybe Colbert should host it. That'd, that'd be fun. The thing is, he probably knows it'd be a step down at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Unless, like, he, unless uh, whoever whoever hosts it, I thought Ellen DeGeneres did a great job that year. It was canceled eight thousand times from nine eleven. Yeah. Um, she did a great job, and and they ought to think, wow, that yep. was good. Let's go back to that formula. Yeah, Let's she, cut it down to two hours. And then I think it was, was it the VMAs? There was that award. Isn't they all drift together in my head? There was that award show some years back, and I'm pretty sure it was the VMAs that Chris Rock hosted, and where he just laid waste to everybody, and they made everybody so uncomfortable they got like some toothless host for the next year. But as an, but as a viewer, it was great because he would just totally, he was just uh, you know taking the air out of everything. There was, was no you know, tune out. No, no. Whatever, there was rating, not there. whatever ratings were there at the beginning of the show were there at the end of the show. Yeah. This one, I'm sitting in the press tent. I could hear off switches going on all over the nation. Oh yeah. No. Sometimes, as they say, sometimes you can just hear the dials turning. Uh, okay. I got a great idea. I had an idea early on that I think I didn't form well enough because I was, I was short on caffeine. I had this idea early on that you get somebody like Miley Cyrus, uh, who's still in the early stages of her career, God help us all. And I was noting that VH1 ought to do like a sort of, like a look back at her whole life as though she were already dead. And the deal is the first 15 minutes of the show covers like stuff that actually happened. And then from then on, it's just scripted with the writer's sort of, you know, the, with the writer's sort of uh, rendering of what the rest of her life might look like. 
You know? Based on where she's been so far. Totally. Yeah, you take Miley Cyrus's life right now and you extrapolate it out to cover 60 years of her life, and you do the whole show as though Miley Cyrus is already dead. That'd be if you put that on VH1, I'd watch that. That'd be a huge show. Boy. You know, you take Britney Spears, you assume she's dead at 55, and you write the whole show from that perspective, and you do like a behind the music thing about somebody who's actually still alive. So here's my other good idea, though, because the Emmys are just. I mean, it's like the guy was on the board just turning up the suck knob. He, here's what somebody ought to do, like VH1, and you could get away with this, too, even though the Emmys are copyrighted. You could get away with this because you put it in terms of fair use. You say that it's review and editorial comment. Somebody, some scrappy little network, ought to take the Emmys or the Oscars or anything like this. The Emmys and the Oscars are actually happen, happening. Let's say they start at 6. You take about an hour, hour and a half, and then you start doing a recreation, a tightened recreation of the Emmys on another channel about 90 minutes later, like on a delay, where they take all the crap out. You know what I mean? So you don't have to watch the real Emmys. The real Emmys are happening, but meanwhile, there's some guys over at Comedy Central who are watching it, taking everything that happened, editing it down, adding their own pithy commentary, and then they reenact the whole thing, like, live, but 90 minutes off on their own network. Oh, that's that's a pretty good idea. I'd absolutely watch that, and they could get away with it, too, because they would say that it was editorial comment, which is protected. So there you go. You can pass that idea along. I like that idea. Right. See, you know, I give. Rick Emerson gives, sir. All right. Well, at least, you know, the good news is you get to go watch O.J. again pretty soon. So you got that going for you. Yeah. Well, oh, gee. <laughs> I'd like to end on an up, sir. <laughs> All right, my brother. Enjoy your day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. There you go. I'm surprised somebody hasn't done that. I'm surprised somebody has not done that idea. All right. You know, we used to do a thing uh, a long time ago when I was in Salt Lake. I did this. We used to do this bit that I've thought about bringing back here, and I think I might. I'm going to say it on the air right now, just so everybody knows it's mine if it gets stolen. I used to do this thing a long time ago called uh, called Political Science Theater 3000. It's like Mystery Science Theater 3000, but political. And the deal is, whenever somebody was given a speech, inaugural address, State of the Union, debate, whatever, we would just carry it live, and it would be like me and a news guy and a comedian, and we would just sit there and we would give running commentary. So we would carry, like, the State of the Union address, so you could actually tune into the station. You'd hear the State of the Union address, and then you'd hear me and a journalist and, like, a comic just giving our running commentary on it as it happened, which was, you know, sort of moderately amusing. So I'm thinking about bringing that back for the debates. So, I don't know. I have to think on that. But I'm thinking about bringing that back for the debates. So, by the way, I'm saying this now in the air. If you hear it stolen by somebody else, you know it's because I said it right here. Here's Tim Riley at uh, KCMD Portland. So a South Carolina coroner says a pilot and co-pilot killed in a Learjet crash died from smoke inhalation and burns, and two passengers were killed by impact-related injuries. This is the crash with um, former, Travis Barker? Uh, former Blink-182 drummer Travis Barker and celebrity DJ, DJ AM. They were critically injured Friday night, but are expected to recover. Pilot Sarah Levin and co-pilot James Bland were killed, along with Chris Baker and Charles Still, who worked uh, for the musicians. Uh, federal officials said yesterday the crew thought a tile blew and tried to abort the takeoff, but couldn't stop the plane in time. Mm. So that was that. Well, he's at it again. Troubled pop idol George Michael has been nabbed by cops in a public toilet. This time, though, not just with his own anatomy, but crack cocaine and cannabis. The multimillionaire singer was arrested after a tip-off from a suspicious laboratory attendant as he lurked in the underground loos near London's Hampstead Heath. Apparently, he was taken to a police station where he admitted possession of Class A and C drugs, accepting a citation. Last month, he played a series of farewell concerts saying he wanted a quieter life. I'm an old man. I really need to sit down, possibly in the loo. 
So uh, apparently he begged to be uh, freed this time. All right. Let's just take him over He has here. been released, and there'll be no further action. Okay, first of all, that is the difference, I guess, between the British system and ours. Uh, and, and that he's got a bag of weed and apparently a bag of crack. Well, that seems like you're a concert tour. You bet he does. Smoking the smoking the yin and yang all at once there. Um, so he's in a public toilet. Where is this? Like on the tube line or something? Yeah, this is in uh, let's see, London's Hempstead. It's Heath. an underground toilet. It's an underground. Toilet. All right. I mean, far be it for me to try to get inside the mind of some, you know, effed up junkie or whatever. He's got a house, doesn't he? I believe. I mean, so doesn't he have a home? Well, he lives close to this place. I mean, if you can't smoke crack in the privacy of your own home, sir, then, I mean, really, what is the point of having your own home? I mean, is there some... I don't know. I hate to even get into this because it just seems like I'm just trying to do too much armchair psychology, but is there something in George Michael or guys like that that are constantly doing this thing of taking drugs out in public or whatever that they want to get caught? So he's just a few miles from his luxurious $10 million Highgate mansion. Situated at the bottom of Hempstead Heath, the notorious Lewis are close to a seating area that are popular with families. I mean, I guess you can make the point that maybe, uh, because I think he's, you know, he's in a long-term relationship, he has a committed partner and all that, and maybe the partner doesn't want him to smoke crack. Go figure. But A, uh, I mean, it doesn't seem like this is much better. B, just buy a tool shed or something out back. Just buy, you know what I mean? Buy, buy like a little pool house or something. Just go back there. And, and frankly, he lives in a house that's like the size of, of Kansas. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that there isn't like some, I don't know, in like some rec room or something downstairs you could duck into. So between this and him constantly getting busted and waving his member about in bathrooms, it does seem like he has some whole thing where he wants to be caught doing this stuff. He must. I mean, that, that, the only explanation I can think of. I mean, it's one thing if you're, you know, you're destitute or, you know, whatever. You get caught, you know, cruising or smoking or whatever in some public laboratory because you've got no, no alternative or you don't think you have any alternative. But that doesn't seem to be the case with him. I mean, show us a picture of him. It says CD where well, he was caught. Me, These are all toilets with the uh, the tanks on, me, on the ceiling. Oh come on! It's a tank with like the pole chain and the, like in yeah. the Godfather. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? No, it says no loitering. It's posted. All right. Well, whatever. I I can't even. I mean, I can't even penetrate that psyche anymore. I just. I. It seems like being uh, wealthy and being a celebrity, you know what that buys you more than anything else? That buys you privacy. That buys you the right to be left alone. Well, apparently he's been hanging around these toilets for quite a while. Imagine a going into a toilet and there's George Michael in the, in the next stall smoking a bunch of crack and maybe taking his pants down. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, okay. That's like, you know, you hear those stories. And by the way, it's not just like a George Michael thing. Do you hear those stories about the, in the, uh, the mid-'80s about Steven Tyler from Aerosmith, who was all busted out, and Steven Tyler who, you know, for a long time was a singer of the most successful rock band in America, and he was living in a $20 a week flop house in Boston. I mean, sitting there squeezing toothpaste into the cracks in the walls because he thought that there were robots in the cracks looking at him. So That's absurd. The, yeah, maybe I would say this. I'm not telling you to do drugs, but maybe here's, here's here maybe the upside to doing drugs. If you decide you're going to go and become some smacked-out junkie, maybe the only upside is that doing a lot of drugs increases your chance that you'll have some sort of celebrity meet. Because drugs, if you're a celebrity, just removes any sort of barrier to hanging out with people that you became a celebrity to avoid. I mean, you become a celebrity and you become wealthy to escape hanging out with those kinds of people. Once you start to do drugs, doesn't matter. You'll do drugs with anybody. Doesn't matter how disgusting and lice-ridden they may be. Jesus. All right. Let's do one more and then we'll uh, let Tim Riley go prepare some news for later on in the hour. Two University of New Mexico hospital employers have been fired for using their cell phone cameras to take pictures of patients receiving treatment and then posting them on the MySpace. 
These are mainly close-ups of injuries being treated at Albuquerque Hospital's emergency room over the past few months. Uh, they've never heard of a similar incident. A few other hospital employees were disciplined, and the investigation is ongoing. The photos were discovered at a, after a hospital supervisor received an anonymous tip about them, uh, and apparently they have uh, removed the photos of the patient. Well, okay. Uh, oh, because mes- mostly you could see their faces. Well, all right then. All right, Tim Riley. Do you have to go prepare more news for the people? I do, but I'll be back in a little while. All right, Tim Riley returns at the bottom of the hour. All right, here's what's still to come today. Uh, we'll have uh, Bobby Fatboy Roberts from Rock 101 KUFO join us here in just a few. Uh, let's see what else. Boy, we haven't gotten we haven't gotten to with the Taser Watch, the Cannibal Watch, Geek Watch. All right, don't forget by the way, at some point between now and the end of the program, uh, I will be working a Led Zeppelin lyric into conversation. If you hear it and you are then caller number five, you'll score yourself a pair of tickets to see Robert Plant and Allison Krauss next Tuesday at the Rose Garden. Tickets on sale now at ComcastTix.com. Let's Better see. not forget. Better not. No, I won't. I will not forget. Um, let's see. We got uh, what else? Worst song. Oh, did I, did I tell you this thing about this mystery sound? No. Oh, so, uh, it's one of those things I'm just... Is it from the Game of Life? No, but see, that's the thing. It's, I don't even know how to proceed because we had we did this thing... I don't have time to dwell on it. We did this thing, Mystery Sound, long time ago, ill-advised. Started as a joke, ended up consuming like three weeks of our time. And I don't even think I have the Mystery Sound anymore. Let's see if I have it here. Mystery Sound. Oh, here we go. Is this it? Oh, no, see, that's the new one. Somebody said, don't call. Don't call. Don't call. Don't. What the hell is that? Okay, but see, that's the thing. That's why we can't talk about it right now. But one of our listeners you just played it. I thought it was the old one. I was trying to find the old one that was the uh, you know spinner from the game of life. So some listener, and I don't know what it is. Some listener sent me. He's like, hey, check out this mystery sound. And I don't know what it is. And frankly, like, can we give one guess? Okay, I, but no, I don't. No. But I don't know. How would I even know if I'm right? It sounds like somebody has a microphone near their mouth and they're eating a bunch of pop rocks. Maybe. Please don't call about this now. I beg of you, don't call, because I don't have time to do it. Maybe we'll talk about it later on in the hour. Maybe we've just got to be them with the fact that you've already played it. I didn't. I should have dumped it. You know, I played it by accident just now. I swear to God, because I thought it was the old one. I thought it was the old, uh, the 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 cable box thing, which is the old. Do you have that one still? See, I don't. I think I lost it. I think I, which is probably you know, all things considered, that's probably for the best. Anywho, um, hey, Richie, if we want to have uh, Bobby Fatboy Roberts join us in the studio now, that'd be fantastic. I'm going to read these two observations, and then we'll do uh, today's top five. Don't forget, later on in the hour, we'll uh, work a Zeppelin phrase into the conversation sometime before the end of the show. You spot it, you call it five, uh, you win a uh, pair of passes to see Robert Plant and Allison Krauss. Also, uh, one random on-air caller today wins a copy of Sports Night, the entire series on DVD, eight DVDs, including commentary on eight episodes. By the way, uh, bad news? Laugh track's still there. Good news, the commentary in the first episode has Thomas Schlame and Aaron Sorkin doing like a 12-minute rant about how much they hated the laugh track. So a little bit of, uh, a little bit of uh, you know, yin and yang together there. Um, oh, two observations, and then, we'll, uh, and then we'll do today's top five. So we were talking about those produce bags in like Safeway and all, lest anybody think I'm picking on Safeway. It's at all of the, those you know, grocery stores where you just cannot for the life of you get the goddamn thing to open. Here's two other things. This was more of a problem when I was a kid. I don't know if they still give you milk when you were a kid in school. Sarah, when you were a kid, did they give you milk in school? Mm-hmm. See, cause I, I didn't think they did that now because I thought they decided that milk was bad for kids. I remember kids. being in the tubs and they would, yeah, you'd get a tub of 
you'd get your milk out of the tub. Right. And it was like a little. It was like a little uh, square carton, little one, yeah. like a little cup or whatever. And some days there was chocolate milk. See, and so, see, but they would never do that. Now they'd never give your ass chocolate milk in school now because they've decided the milk is unless you're a very small cow, that milk is bad for you. And I guess chocolate milk doubly so. And the idea, by the way, that chocolate milk was ever foisted onto American youth as a health food is sort of one of the great laughs of all time. So I don't know if they give milk to kids anymore, but when I was a school, when I was in kid at school, they would give you these like little milk cartons. And uh, there were times, and it's one of those things that you can't. It's the pain that you can share with no one else because you think it's just you, and that it marks you as some sort of a retard, which is probably true in my case, where I would be trying to open the milk carton, and like I couldn't get it to open, and then. Because, you know, theoretically, you open the milk carton, and it tears right down the middle, and then you go, and you pop it out, and it's like a little pour spout right in your mouth, right? Except I would go to open it, and it would tear sort of unevenly. In other words, it was like it was like breaking a, a wishbone in half, except, like, the left side always gets, you know, like three-quarters of it comes to the left, and, you know, like, your right hand is just holding a little stub. That's how the milk carton would fail to open. And so I would bend the things all the way back, but it would tear to the left, and then there would be no opening. So then I would actually have to turn the milk carton around and try to open the other side. And then nine times out of ten, that wouldn't work either. And so then I'm like having to punch holes in the side of the milk carton with my pencil and try to like suck it out like I'm beer bonging. And then inevitably somebody sees you and then there's just all kinds of excoriating, you know, uh, taunts on the playground. And that's no fun. Uh, Second, and I swear to God, I'll stop making everybody be the recipient of my unburdening of childhood, you know, traumas. Thank you, because I'm kind of phasing out. I know. I'm just saying that. Here's the other thing, and this occasionally happens to me now, even as a grown-up, where there is something like a small plastic or cellophane bag, maybe holding sun chips or perhaps that cheese packet inside your macaroni, and you go to tear it open, and instead of tearing cleanly open, like in that, like the cheese packet, there's it's foil, but then it's got that little plastic lining, you know, inside. And occasionally with macaroni and cheese, even now, I will go to tear it open, and it's like it'll get through the foil, but then instead of opening, the, the plastic just stretches. And then I sit there, and for the life of me, I cannot get it to open. This happens with small bags of Doritos sometimes, where I go to open it, and it won't tear. It's like it just stretches further and further, and I feel like Alan Funt is going to jump out of the shrubs to make fun of me. And you can't tell anybody about that, because then they just laugh at you. You're all enfeebled. Then you feel like you got to go uh, kick a chair and order the Charles Atlas thing. You know what I'm talking about. Bobby, Fat Boy Roberts from Rock 101 KUFO. Hello, sir. How are you? Hi. <laughs> You got a problem? No, it's just... It's never happened to you. No, no, no. Um, you had some hard times with cans and plastic bags this week. Yeah. Life is hard. Oh, uh, just the the ramping up of the anger. Just the righteous anger at these plastic inanimate objects. I laugh because I identify, especially with the milk carton thing. It's, I used to have difficulty opening little cartons of milk. Oh, God. Uh, because it would just... I could, the, the paper would not tear correctly. Or it was glued to... Because the thing about it is, right... They they make the carton, and then they fold it, and then they glue it shut. You know what's cool about all these complaints here is I am just envisioning a series of T-shirts to go up at, yeah, at your cafe press store that just have your, um, you know, just a, a flat blank face and just sentences from this. Like, just your face, Rick Emerson above it, and then below it, I have problems with milk carton boxes. And then another one, Rick Emerson, your face underneath it, the plastic just stretches Seriously, something along those lines. What's well, like you got the little potato chip bag, and we all know the way to open it. You grab it on. Oh my gosh, we've already done the. I'm, ju- I'm just saying, <laughs> you, you grab it on either side, and you pull, and it goes, and it pops open. Sometimes it doesn't though. Sometimes no. it just stretches. Yes. Further and further, and tighter and tighter, and yet it never actually opens. And then you're eventually, you know, you reach the point of emasculation where you just got to go get scissors to open a sun chip bag, and it's like, 
How can you perform as a man after that? See, I want that whole paragraph to go, it starts from under your chin, and then it wraps around to the back of the T-shirt, and then there's a picture of scissors. It's like that little money-making thing on CNN right now. Have you seen on CNN.com, you can order any headline on a T-shirt. <laughs> That's so literally, cool. you can get, like, Ike, Ike causes certain death, like, on a shirt. Any headline on CNN.com, they will now print on a shirt and send to you. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That I dig. All right. Okay. Uh, all right. What uh, what top five have ye today? Uh, top five opening credit songs or movie opening songs. And I didn't want to uh, I didn't want to uh, in- include you know actual scored pieces and you know because then it'd just be like a bunch of John Williams and that's I, I think we've already done that list anyway. Um, it came about because uh, the new James Bond film, Quantum of Solace. That's the worst name for a film ever, <laughs> by the way. Um, their uh, title tune, Another Way to Die, just uh, dropped, I think, what, last Wednesday, last Thursday. And some people were talking about the greatest James Bond opening songs. And I think, like, the word greatest is usually used whenever it comes to any James Bond song. Right. They're all pretty uniform right. and mediocre right. at best. Um, and it got me to think about what songs have open movies that I have. I mean, that works perfectly. Like, the movie comes on, the song plays, and the now, mesh, the blend is just so perfect. Are these? Songs written for the film, no. previously existing songs, or both? Previously existing songs, except for in the case of my number one. And no, even then, that was a previously existing song. Right. So these are all previ- previously existing songs that the director took from his youth, from his past, and decided to slam it onto the front right. of his movie for okay. the for the biggest opening impact. By the way, best James Bond song, obviously, is Live and Let Die. Yes. I mean, I'm not even a huge fan of that song, but it's the Batman, because what else are you going to have? You Only Live Twice? Well, And, and then, <laughs> you only live twice, or so it seems. It's the worst song ever. <laughs> I think, oh, what's the one? I think, not Doctor No, there's one that basically flat out talks about him uh, nailing. Really? Him. Yeah. Like, uses the phrase ball. As as the verb. As a verb. As the verb, All yes. Right. All right. Uh, what are we doing here? Oh, we're doing this. Five, four, three, two, one, fire. Yeah, I just got an email from somebody. Her grandmother can't open milk cartons either. See, it's not just me. It's me. Me and enfeebled elderly women. So much more manly now. Listen to this. She used to solve the problem by taking a long bread knife and cutting off the entire pop of a carton. The top would then be replaced by a baggie and a large rubber band. (laughs) She also did this with bologna. I'm in good company. Okay. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Bobby Fatboy Roberts' top five credit opening songs. All right. The honorable mention... This is for my peep Scott Daly, who happens to have this tattoo up on his arm. Little Green Bag by the George Baker Selection from the opening credits of Reservoir Dogs. All right. Fair enough. Um, this pretty much started an entire, I want to say trend, fad of opening credits where people started digging around their old KTEL collections right. and had people walking in slow-mo. I think this was parodied in Swingers at one point, it was. wasn't it? Yeah, when, yeah. They walk, when they leave the restaurant or the, the, that party and they leave and they go in formation to the yeah. cars. Except the song there was, um, oh, Average White Band's... Uh, That's right. Yeah, the pieces. I totally, yeah, I know it. Yeah, so, no, yeah, this is, a, this is a really weird song once it gets past that initial opening bass line, but when you get to the, the guitar getting all funky and you still got these guys just going in slow-mo looking as badass as possible, it's like that right stuff shot, remember? Totally. When, the, when they're walking in formation. Yeah, and this is probably the best version of that, and I think this song helps greatly as far as that goes. Because, I mean, yeah, it's sort of the same thing in Armageddon as well, and it didn't quite... Well, actually, you have that in almost every Michael Bay movie now that I think about Well, and, and Tarantino, you know, he's one of those guys who had such a... I'll say it's a new style because it is sort of a it is sort of a, a hybrid of a lot of things from his past. Yeah. But at least in terms of American film in the in the nineties, had such a 
sort of refreshing style mm-hmm. that it immediately became so distinct that it could be parodied and ripped off endlessly. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, this is too, where it's kind of finding the old sort of 70s gold, Yeah. Uh, we used to call it. And, of course, that thread works its way all the way through the film with, what is it, Captain Billy? Is that the guy's name? Uh, oh. Captain Billy's Super 70s Weekend. Yeah, with uh, Stephen, Stephen Wright, Wright as yeah. the DJ. Bohemian. And then he does... Uh, he does it to great effect in Pulp Fiction as well. Yeah. And the great gimmick in Pulp Fiction is he does something that you almost never hear, which is transitions, I think, via the static of the radio changes yeah. from one song to another, because it's Miser Lou into Jungle Boogie. Yes. Which right. I almost put on there, but since it was two songs in the opening credits, right. I couldn't quite use. So I had to roll with this as the Tarantino. Tarantino really isn't a director, if you look at all of his movies. He's more like a... He makes cinematic mixtapes. Totally. I can see that. Yes. That's, yeah. that's, that's what he does. He'll take a chunk from this movie, he'll take a chunk from this soundtrack, and then he'll slam it together. And the movies don't really work on their own as movies. They work really well as, oh, I remember when I liked from that movie and that movie and this, se- this segment from that movie, and I can see what he's doing. Sort of a blood-soaked family guy. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. kind of. Yeah. <laughs> the, by the way, one final note. Another thing they don't really do often in movies is let a song naturally end on the vinyl and then start into the next song. And they do it really well in the Royal Tenenbaums. Yes. When uh, the brother-sister quasi-incest conversation is happening, uh-huh. and Between the Buttons by the Stones is playing, and I forget what the first song is, and then it stops and it goes into Ruby Tuesday. Yeah. All right. Uh, Bobby, Fatboy Roberts, counting down the top five uh, existing songs that open a movie. All right. Number five, Lust for Life, Iggy yeah. Pop from Train Spotting. So, I mean, th- these opening credits work so seamlessly because of the song and the, the cutting between all these smackheads running for totally. no real reason. And then it, it slowly becomes explained to you through the course of the chase. And then you also get that, like, character definition from these guys trying to rip off people and, you know, tripping over themselves because they're giant, smacked-out, right. heroin-addled messes. And the entire time, this song's playing in the background, and it kind of gives you an idea of how cheerfully disgusting this movie is going to be. Totally. So, well, you know, a good movie, just like, the, you know, a good movie will set the tone right away. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, what Baz Luhrmann calls making the contract with the audience. Yes. Where you tell them at the beginning, here's the type of movie you're going to see. Here's what it, you know, not the whole plot, but here's the style of movie you're about to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, and this, and this is, you know, accompanied by one of the great, you know, that, that monologue he does that choose life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But who needs reasons when you've got heroin? You know? And it's just, it's so great. <laughs> it's a great big television. Oh, yeah. Still, I can't watch that. You can't watch Train like, anymore? Can, no, no, I can watch it, but the dead baby. It's crawling on the ceiling? Yeah. Is it because it's so animatronic that it throws you? Because I think if it was a little more realistic, I think people would buy it more. But I think the, because it's moving so robotically and the head is so, like, That's almost true. misshapen. Like a, doll, like a weird dead baby doll. Yeah. Like, robot. Thing. And then the head comes around and it's so just freaky looking. It's like those little baby monsters in Brazil that yeah. that loped around underneath the basically like the army surplus tents or whatever they were they were wearing. Yeah, this opening sequence though is one of my favorites. You know what I don't get about train spotting? That's fine film. Yeah. I get a lot of people that that will talk about how you know, the train spotting, you know, it like kind of made made, a, made being a junkie look kind of sexy and it romanticized it. And I've never seen that with this no. movie. There's nothing about train spotting where, hey, that looks like a great way to live my life. Not even in an elegantly wasted kind of way. No, I mean, like, nothing romantic. You about get introduced all. to Renton's character and you end up coming to like the character, but you don't think that he's sexy because the entire first 15 minutes of the movie is him trying to score heroin that he can put in his posterior. Yeah. That's the whole. That's not sexy. Yeah, no. At no point are, no is putting things in your body in that manner sexy in any way, shape, or form. It's just not. And then you have Spud later on, like I want to say like oh. 10, 15 minutes later, who uh. completely loses all control of his faculty after not getting any the night before. 
And then it's like, you know, like a baked beans factory exploded in the bedroom. How is that sexy? Wow. No way, shape, or form. And this is just such a great propulsive song anyway. And uh -huh. just real quickly before we move on, just got to that, this, just one of the all-time great, we were just talking actually about Iggy Pop. Um, yeah. One of the great openings to a song ever. Mm -hmm. We've actually done the top five drum intros to a song. Yeah. And this is, you know, right there, it just sets the stage for everything that's going to happen in the next, whatever, three minutes and two seconds of the song. Although I, I crack up that this was used for, like, what was it, carnival tours? Yeah. and it's about heroin. The song itself is about heroin. That's almost as bad as um, another song from the soundtrack, Lou Reed. Perfect Day. Perfect Day was used in NFL ads. Yeah. To get kids to play Pop Warner football. And it was, and by the way, Perfect uh, Day was a huge fundraising single in Britain a couple years ago. The BBC had a children's choir sing it, <laughs> and it's about heroin. Oh, so, boy. Right. Top right. five uh, pop or rock songs that open a film. All right, number four, Rainbow Connection, Kermit the Frog, The Muppet Movie. Oh, you bastard. Uh, this, is, this one was originally written for the movie, so this is the only one that wasn't a pre-existing pop song, but... This song is childhood to me. Oh, Completely distilled, crystallized. Totally. Boiled down into something you can fit in the palm of your hand. This song, childhood. I can play this on the piano. Oh, I'm sorry. That's me. My computer just freaked out there. You can play this on? I can. You can play this on what? Excellent. I'm totally going to blow up Sarah's spot here. She's just waving back and forth very quietly with the most serene, peaceful look on her face right now, singing along. No shame. You know who does a beautiful version of this is Willie Nelson, of all people. There's a version of this. There's a cover version of this that I love to death almost as much as I love this version. It's by Sarah McLachlan. Really? Yeah, it is. It's very... Ethereal, I think, is the oh, word yeah. I want to use. Oh, it, but, I mean... Well, she has that voice makes you cry doing anything. Oh, I know. Yeah. And she's in that range, too. She's in the, like, angel vocal range when she does this song. And you just... Oh. I haven't seen the Muppet movie in a long time. Is this when he's riding the bike? No, he's uh, in the pond. Like, the camera comes down swooping. I mean, they've already... They're sitting in the uh, in the theater, and they're, the movie's just about to start. And the movie starts, and they push in through the screen, and they drop down, and you hear this, and he's just sitting in the lake, in the pond... Singing along as the credits are rolling. You know the, uh, the Muppets and Sesame Street. You know everybody talks about you know the sort of the joke writing and the sort of you know the the innovations in puppetry. Yeah. But they don't really get the credit sometimes for writing beautiful pieces of music. No. I mean, you know, and the one the one that gets me every time, every, and especially because it's the one they played at Henson's funeral, yeah. is that time for saying goodbye. Yeah. In the Muppets Take Manhattan. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even see the funeral, but when I heard that they that Frank Oz and they all sang uh -huh. at Henson's funeral, the time oh, for saying man. goodbye. It's like even just reading that, I was just like, <laughs> Henson oh. was the first celebrity death that messed me up. Oh, dude. And I'm I'm not you know I'm not the kind to go in. For, I mean, if I don't know you as a person, I can understand the sadness, but I don't yep. typically buy into it myself. Mm. Woke up one day, Henson was gone, wrecked me. Yeah. Well, that was me with Mr. Rogers. Yeah. That's just yeah. Oh, I was man. yeah. I was not in a good place that day. Sweet Top five previously existing songs that accompany a movie's opening credits. How's <laughs> this for a train wreck? Number three, Fight the Power. Oh, yeah. Public Enemy from Do the Right Thing. <laughs> this speech is not Martin Luther King. A lot of people just immediately assume this is Martin Luther King. It is not. I used to know who it is, but I can't remember now. Yeah. Then fight. Ah. And this is how you knew it was all going to blow up in your face in the summer of 1989. Man. Oh, little white boys. 
Uh, um, that's what's funny is Public Enemy. I want to say about 75 to 80 percent of their their paying audience, not just uh, concert goers, but hate buyers, record buyers, merchandise buyers, angry white boys. Oh, in the totally. Suburbs. Me. <laughs> By the way, just just for peace of mind, is this the edited version? Yes, it is the edited right. version. All right. As a matter of fact, um, the edited version is the only version that still exists. You had to have bought the single in 89 before Fear of a Black Planet came out. Really? An edited version. Everything else is all edited version, which is strange because Fear of a Black Planet was such a... Yeah. No, no, no. I, no, I do. I'm just listening. I'm just... I'm just thinking about this song. And we did this great... Um, we did this great little high-concept discussion. I don't think... I don't think you were here that day. Yeah. But we were talking about... Iconic movie sequences or scenes you wish you had experienced for the first time in the theater. In yeah. other words, like the I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. I've mm. never, you know, or the patent speech. Yeah. And I was saying, I had a couple of them. One is, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. To have seen that when nobody knew it was coming. Yeah. And to have been in the theater, A, for do the right thing, yeah. which I wasn't. <laughs> and to have been in the theater, to hear Chuck D say out loud, that whole Elvis was a hero to most, but he never meant S to me. Yeah. Straight out racist, the sucker was simple and plain. Flav jumps in. Mother F him and John Wayne. That pissed a lot of people off. I mean, off you look back now and it doesn't seem like a big deal, but in 1989, yeah. man, that was like a that was a slap in the face. Most of my heroes don't appear on no stamps. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Oh, boy. Yeah, very evocative. And, and of course, and of course almost Rosie Perez yeah. gyrating her buttocks. No, she does this one move. In the, for like, I want to say like the last 30 seconds of the song, the camera just holds on her, and she's not even really dancing anymore. She just, she thrusts her pelvis out as violently as possible. Like, like you would imagine the sisters in Shawshank are thrusting pelvis, right? Yeah. And then she follows that up by punching both fists forward rhythmically in time to the music. And it's not even really a dance at that point, but it's so mesmerizing. Right. You got the lights hitting. Ugh, this... You knew you were in for for an ass kicking. You know, and that, and as that far whole as movie, movie was just yeah, and the movie was just like a big fist to your face. I mean, just I mean, just, you could watch it in an air conditioned theater and sweat by the because he captured hot summer madness better than almost any other filmmaker. That was all Ernest Dickerson, I yes. think, who was who was the sort of director of photography there and who was doing the you know the composition. It was all red and orange. Mm -hmm. I think we got the line right here. Yeah, it's coming up here in a little bit. All right, now they're going to have that little instrumental. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's so great. Indeed. The only thing that would have been better than seeing this is like making my in-laws be in the theater when it played. You know what I mean? I want to do. I want to be in the theater first time, '89 that summer, to look around at other people when the stereotype breakdown scene starts. Oh, happening. dude. Dude, we're Turturro and Sam Jackson and 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 uh, Spike Lee himself yeah. and Danny Aiello just staring straight into the camera and, just and spitting going. out racial epithets for like three minutes. Oh yeah, I want to I want to look around at the theater and to see what people are are doing facially. Just you know you know something I'm glad I was in the theater for. We're by the way we're talking about top five uh, songs that open a movie. Uh, you know something I'm glad I was in the theater for was the mirror speech in Twenty Fifth Hour. Ooh, which I got to tell you, so have you seen Twenty Fifth Hour? No, no. Oh, dude, you gotta What's see that. About? Ed Norton. It's about Ed Norton. He's going. It's his last 24 hours before he goes to prison. Uh, he's been convicted. He goes to prison. And it's called the 25th hour because at the end of 24 hours he has to go to prison. Mm -hmm. And it's his last day of freedom before he goes to jail. It's Philip Seymour Hoffman, Ed Norton, Rosario Dawson, 
Uh, it's just a great movie, but there is a speech that Ed Norton gives in there that it's like it's just a mule kicking you in the side of the head. Mm-hmm. It's just so great. Anyway, top five uh, songs that open a film. Number two. Number two, When the Man Comes Around by Johnny Cash from totally. the opening credits of the Dawn of the Dead remake. Yeah. This is a great song. Oh, boy. And it works perfectly. This is probably the best opening to any zombie movie ever and the best opening to a horror movie in, like, the last 20, 25 years. And I know people, purists, would disagree just on principle because this is a remake. Right. But the Dawn of the Dead remake, it's not really a remake of Dawn of the Dead. It's like a remake of Aliens that just happens to have zombies instead of, you know, giant penises with teeth. This song just feels really apocalyptic. And then underneath this, there are images of just the world going to hell in the most convincing way possible. And it it just sets you up so perfectly. After like the first opening ten minutes of Dawn of the Dead, where it's just the woman... You know, she she's at the hospital. The plague has already started. She has no idea. She goes home. Nice, peaceful night. Wakes up. The little six-year-old girl across the street has got blood all over her face. Rips her husband's throat out in the bedroom. She has to flee into the bathroom to escape the husband. And these zombies are fast. They roar. That's flesh still hanging from his teeth after, like, gallons of blood have jetted out of his jugular and starts chasing after her. These things sprint. At like I want to say 30 miles an hour, if they see food, they are, she gets in a car, peels out. This guy chases her full speed for a block and a half, and the only reason he stops is because he sees someone else on their front yard and he just breaks. No stop, no looking sideways, just goes and then just descends upon him. The whole movie is filled with zombies like this, and that adds like a really cool element. So this is the original Donovan. This is the remake. remake. This is the remake, and this song plays at the very end of this little opening sequence, and it's it's the perfect capper to like the most disquieting, nasty view of the apocalypse. And it gets filtered through the through the Johnny Cash prism, of course, as well, because he had that book of revelations, apocalyptic, yeah, uh, you know, that sort of John Fogarty thing where it's, you know, you're always like about 10 minutes away from the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing the end of the world and then just as everything smash cuts to black because this woman smashes her car into a tree trying to escape from zombies. The next voice you hear is Johnny Cash's, and it just yeah. fits so perfectly. Excellent. No All right. All right. Kind of now the top five uh, previously existing songs that accompany the opening credits of a film. All right. Number yet, one. Yet another train wreck. Number one. Say it to me now. Glenn Hansard. Once. Oh, yeah. This sets up the movie so perfectly. Like, I kind of knew what I was getting into, and then he starts singing, and... When he starts belting it out. Oh, at, at the point. very end God. of this song. Like, I almost want to... It's only like two minutes long, so... <laughs> it's it's chill-inducing. It really is chill-inducing. And the camera work is beautiful, too, because it just slowly keeps pushing in on him and slowly pushing in on him, and then it circles around his head. And when he finishes the song, finally, you see... So good. So good. So amazing. Yes, it is. much has gone misunderstood. Have you seen this movie yet, Rick? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right, right. That's right. When I saw it, I made like eight or nine different DVD copies. Like, everyone needs to see this. And I didn't care. I had to distribute. Yeah, and then we and then we got to see it. Uh, we went to see the, the show. I know. You, yeah. I'm so jealous. And I was so happy. A, I mean, it's a great movie, and it's a beautiful movie for anybody who loves music. And I was especially happy that they did the thing of getting musicians and having them act, not getting actors to pretend to be musicians. Yeah. And I was so glad to see Glenn Hansard on screen because he was in the commitments. Yeah. And I was glad to see he was, you know, I kind of lost track of him. Yeah. You know, glad to see him still around and doing his thing. With that guitar, that busted mm. guitar. And when he, when he performs, did he do this at the Swell Season show with you? When he performs, yeah. they open yeah. with this yeah. and he just stands on the stage. There's not even a microphone. 
He just belts. That oh, was beautiful. Yeah, it was an amazing show. Yeah, it was a beautiful show. All right, excellent. All right. Uh, next Monday, you will return to do your top five songs that close a movie. Mm hmm. All right, excellent. Uh, Rock 101 KUFO, 7 to Midnight, Bobby Fatboy Roberts, ladies and gentlemen. Back after this with Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. the Rick Emerson radio program. Thank you for coming along. Uh, Richie says people are asking the name of the top five number one movie, whatever. It's Once. The name of the movie is Once with uh, Glenn Hansard and Margaret Glover. Some foreigner. But it's a great film. I think the whole film was made for, I mean, just pennies. I mean, it's made for nothing. 80,000. Yeah. And it ended up winning you know, an Oscar for best song. Anyway, do yourself a favor and check it out. The movie's called Once. And the Spike Lee film I was talking about was called The 25th Hour with Ed Norton, blah, blah, blah. Now this, you know, it may be, may be one of the best things he's ever made. I mean, Spike Lee has this whole... And a lot of his movies that get a lot of attention aren't really the best ones. And then some of the ones that, you know, that really are worth watching kind of get swept, you know, swept away just, you know, whatever, whatever else is opening at the box office. He Got Game is like that. He Got Game is a fantastic and underrated Spike Lee film. Uh, Denzel Washington. Um, God, Rosario Dawson's in that one, too. Just looking just like the hottest thing that's ever existed. I will say that He Got Game is weighed down, as are many Spike Lee films, by an unnecessary romantic subplot, which doesn't really need to be there. It would be, it would be not, you know, at some point it would be nice to see if somebody would just sort of be a powerful enough editor that they would take those films away from him and let him know, Spike, the, Spike, you don't need a romantic subplot. But that of, that is the eternal Spike Lee conflict between uh, what is and what should never be. So, what are you going to do? Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley. And now, now. Though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Off <laughs> my pen. Oh, I'm sorry. Here's Tim Riley. All right, let me tell you about this uh, story that just came in. Renaissance Homes, a Portland-based builder of luxury homes, will declare bankruptcy. Now, they began home building back in 1984. They're well known for the builder of higher-end homes. If you go to the Street of Dreams, they always win. So uh, Renaissance Homes has distinguished itself by building custom luxury homes with direct input from the home buyer. The company will file for Chapter 11 protection at some point this week. So they're a big builder. Elsewhere, an American Airlines plane that originated in Seattle has gone off the runway at Chicago's O'Hare Airport. The FAA says Flight 268 from Seattle to JFK in New York City landed safely, then rolled off a runway. Passengers were taken off the plane and shuttled to the terminal. Nobody was injured. Flight 268 was experiencing, quote, electrical problems. <laughs> I don't like to hear about such things. I forgot the second part of this Britney watch earlier. Should I do it now? Well, let's not use the theme. Let's just do the supplemental uh, story yeah. itself. A Britney Spears comeback single, Womanizer, from her soon-to-be-released album Circus, has been linked to the Internet. Womanizer. I barely knew her. The recovering pop icon's Womanizer, which was expected to make its debut September 22nd, has been partially uploaded online. Britney has claimed Circus was to be her best work yet. Mm -hmm. While the song itself features a provocative tuning. 
According to Us Weekly, the tune features sexy lyrics with uh, Spears singing, Boy, don't try to front. I know just what gets you off. The album is set to establish the star's comeback, while well, the album itself is set to be released on the 2nd of December, her 27th birthday. Ugh. Brittany recently gleamed at the MTV Video Music Awards on the 7th of September, which she wiped away with three trophies. She gleamed? That's what it says here, gleamed. Mm-hmm. She had video of the year, best female video, and best pop video. Mm. Okay. Britney Spears will soon be 27 All right. years old. Raise your hand if you care about Britney Spears' comeback single. No. All right. Mm-mm. Has anybody heard it? Apparently no. it's on the Internet. Uh, somebody else sent it to us. All right. Uh, what is this? Let's, uh, hello, caller five. You're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Why are you calling? Uh, because you said, but what is and what should never be. And what is that, sir? That is a Led Zeppelin lyric. Excellent. Now, you don't, you don't have to answer this, but just for, you know, ju- just to impress me, can you name uh, the song or the album or both? What's the stop us pretty, baby? But what is and what should never be? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> actually, actually, the song itself is called What Is and What Should Never Be, and it's on Led Zeppelin 2. Oh, damn so, it. Uh, all right, no, 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 it's okay. You've already won. So you are going to see Robert Plant and Allison Krauss next Tuesday at the Rose Garden. Uh, put you on hold. Rich, you'll get all your information, and uh, you, uh, the congratulations, my friend. All right, thank you, sir. All right, there you go. I'll put you on hold. Don't forget, uh, each day this week... Every day this week, we'll be giving away a pair of tickets to see Robert Plant and Allison Krauss at the Rose Garden next Tuesday. Tickets on sale at, tick, uh, at uh, ComcastTix.com. Every day, I will work a Led Zeppelin lyric into conversation. If you spot it, you call it five, you win. Here's Tim Riley. Here's a story about a jump rope accident, and it's not pretty. Surgeons were able to reattach the hand of a six-year-old girl from South Bay, California, after a freak accident involving a jump rope cut off her hand. Erica Ricks was riding in the back of her mother's SUV, as young girls will do, and dangling her jump rope out the window with a rope slipknot around her wrist. The other end of the rope became tangled in the car's axle. Oh, that is not how I expected that to go. I thought it was going to get caught in like a tree or something. Did you so anyway, right off? Wow. Uh, the mom uh, apparently got out of the car, looked out the window... That was cracked. And uh, screamed, where's her hand? A nearby woman found the hand with the rope still attached. Aww. The driver stopped to use his belt to create a tourniquet around the young girl's arm before she was rushed to the hospital. It took 10 hours to reattach to the hand, but they did it. So it is a happy ending. Where's her hand? Mm-hmm. All right, let me ask you this. Which do you think is more unpleasant? Let's take, it, let's take the mom factor out of it. What's, what's more unpleasant, going and looking and seeing somebody whose hand has just been torn off or being the guy who finds the hand of the jump rope? What's worse? I would say the mom. No, but I'm saying if you're not the, the mom. Just, the guy's just trying to be helpful. I would say the stump. The stump? You say the stump? The stu- oh. Yeah, the stump. Oh. Yeah, so you've seen this. That's no good. No. no. Finding a hand tangled inside a jump rope, that's bad too, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's no good at all. That's like how I was, I was putting some stuff in the dryer the other day. And, uh, you know, when you it, it's a front-loading dryer, not a top-loading dryer. So front-loading dryer. And when you close the dryer, there's that little metal peg on the inside that, you know, cinches in between the two little... Ro- the thing that holds the door shut, basically. Mm-hmm. And I put in, like, you know, pants and shirts or whatever. And as I'm putting it in, a little corner of the shirt... And I never found this out until later. A little corner of the shirt caught in the door and was caught in the door as I started the dryer. And so it just sat there and it just spun itself in a circle for, like, 45 minutes or whatever. And it had cinched my clothes into the tightest knot I have ever witnessed in my life. Because it was caught in the door, but, of course, then it's spinning for half an hour. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it basically had, had tightened my shirt into 
like like it was the thickness of a straw when it was done. I and mean, it was almost impressive in a weird way. So it just kept twisting the shirt around and around and around and again until it was you know it was like basically like a you know it was a bit like a little dowel or something. It's all very so think about that with your hand. Take a break. We'll come back after this and wrap it up around the corner. Uh, don't forget, like us at 3. Michael Maris Show at 70. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. We wrap it up after this. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't forget, tomorrow we'll be joined by Anita Parker from TMZ.com. And we will... Despite my better judgment, we will delve into this mystery sound business. So, the mystery sound was given to us by a listener, and he says, Rick, one, I could allow it to remain a mystery for now, even to you. Two, I could send you a picture by email. Three, I can send you one of the objects in the mail, one of the objects I use to make the sound. Well, somebody on the show has to know what it is. Because otherwise, how will we know if listeners are correct about it? I'll know what it is. I'll do it. Do you know what it is? No, oh, no, you, but... you're willing to know? Yeah. All right. Uh, so, sir, who contributed the mystery sound, if you want to send the answer to Sarah, don't send it to me, don't send it to Tim, don't send it to Richie. Send the answer to Sarah and Sarah only. Like, I've already just, I've already just acceded to the fact that we're going to do it. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? I got here? you. That was the weirdest sound. It was completely strange. Rick, I love your show and uh, had it on today as I always do. However, today in the recap, my 10-year-old daughter was listening and heard the penis song. I came in to hear her laughing hysterically and couldn't understand her. Uh, and he couldn't even understand, and couldn't even understand her explaining what she was laughing about because she kept breaking into cackles of laughter. Lo and behold, it was the penis song. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Signed, a mother. Got to speed up that grown-up talk. Very well, guys. I was just going to say, you know, don't let your kids learn it on the street, sister. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hello. Yes, hi. I yes. was calling in about your the severed hand story. Yes. There is a famous or was. A famous woman, Isadora Duncan, uh, who was basically one of the founders of American modern dance. And uh, she was very famous for uh, wearing these very long silk scarves. And she was riding in an open, uh, in a convertible, mm. as was the fashion at the time. <laughs> uh, long story short, you know, long, elegant scarves wrapped around her head. Silk scarf gets caught in the back axle. She is decapitated. Thanks for ending the show on and up. Excuse, gosh, dang it. Um, I beg your pardon? Nothing. <laughs> Bye now. Thank you so much. All right, there you go. Final call for the day. No time to be fair to another caller. Join us at 10 for the recap, 11 for the show tomorrow. Uh, we want to thank Cena Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, Jim Roop, and Lisa Desjardins, as well as uh, Fatboy Roberts from Rock 101 KUFO. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen for AM 970, the talker in the newsroom, Tim Riley, and the phones, Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave Zinn, webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, director of engineering, Brian Jones, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan Donat with me, Reynolds, like us next, Michael Mayer show at 7. See you all tomorrow. Watch out for snakes, and uh, bye now. He called hanging a moon out the drive-thru window disgusting and plan to dig into it.